0: Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash CollinsLastStand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations! Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand, Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined today by, let's see, Admiral Akbar's secret lover, Dagan Moriarty. <laughs> it's a trap! It's a—that's
1: tra- what I he said to you when he came into his,
0: <laughs> when he came into his chambers aboard the <laughs> aboard his flagship. Dagan, today's episode is an exciting topic for us because it brings us full circle in some way to the very first episode of Knockback that we ever did about The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Today's episode is about Return of the Jedi, Woo. and we were eventually going to get to this movie. I'm pleased that we're getting to it now, because there's quite a bit to say about it, mm-hmm. and I'm, ex- I'm especially excited to talk about it, because you were 10 years old at the time it was released, I think. Or I was nine. nine, yeah. And so you probably remember it better, I'm sure, than than clearly A New Hope and probably Empire as well, and so we're going to get a lot of contemporaneous sort of detail from you about it that I'm super stoked about, but we can also talk about what I think is a really great, and in some ways... It was an underrated movie, and now because of the prequels and the new movies, now everyone kind of likes Return of the Jedi again. So there's yeah. a, there's a lot of interest for me there, too. I've always <laughs> really thought it was a great movie. So you can, of course, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stand at the $2 or up tier. Lola's licking herself in the corner here, <laughs> making a lot of distracting mouth noises. Loli. If you want to submit questions, comments, concerns, ideas, etc., you're able to do that and you can support us as well and, can, and ensure that our show continues and you can also get early access to every episode, etc. You guys know the drill by now. Dig in. Return of the Jedi. No, we can't yet. Oh, we wait. I for, keep forgetting ch- about we this. We have to do a change in the subject. I, keep, I keep, We forgot but, We
1: forgot in the last episode we did it at the end. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you. Is it better? Do you like it at the end? No, as- I, I like it, I like it, at, it the at the beginning. You know what? Right? I just say you throw it wherever you want it. All right. This is going to be... <laughs> this <laughs> is going to be a little bit... This is a, this is a quickie. Though thought this was a fun one. Give me your take on... Claw machines. <laughs> that is an interesting one. I'm it's surprised we're not doing one. a full episode on claw machines. <laughs> we could.
0: For people that don't know, by the way, the this particular, well, what do you want to call it, the segment that we're doing segment, for this yeah. wave? We'll try yeah, it out. This wave is just a, is just a little bit of an experiment to talk about something else random that wouldn't get its own topic before we segue into today's topic, which the is real of the real thing. Right. Claw machines are incredibly frustrating and annoying and predatory. But who can deny its allure every once in a while? They are
1: predatory. You know what I learned with. Uh, I don't know if you know this, by having kids and through all this, I've learned there's two types of claw machines. There's one that is difficult to pick up the item, but it will actually lock and snap on an item every time. And then there's the other more common kind that never, I think it it's designed to actually close and stay closed, like one out of every 25 times this thing goes down. So... It's kind of a mixed bag, right? I always look for the ones that actually close because I'm pretty good at aiming it. But, you know, that will actually... So that's actually a thing. They are very predatory because there's so many of them that don't... They just stay limp. They're not designed to pick up the item. You know, it'll just kind of wash over it and kind of, like, not grab it. Only a very small percentage of the time does it actually grab it. If your aim happens to be good on that particular chance, then you might have a shot. Mm. Which is kind of... I don't like that. I'm not big on that. Now, my best friend, PJ, his mom was so good at claw machines that she had an entire sofa, like a love seat full of plush stuffed animals that she won from the claw machines. And she would just let everybody take one. Like, oh, take a claw machine thing when you leave or whatever. <laughs> or take one for your kid or for your niece or whatever. She had an entire couch stacked with these things.
0: It's interesting to have an uncanny ability so to do something it. like that. It's crazy. I remember only winning once. I might have won more than that. But I, I, I won some really shitty... Like white teddy bear with like light green trim when I lived in Maine nice that I think I might have slept with for a little while because <laughs> you almost felt like you really achieved something when you got it out of the claw machine
1: and have you seen this one now they have the, the there's a, actually a third iteration you give it like five dollars you put in five dollars and you keep playing until you win
0: oh that's interesting so you know and they're hmm. little like rubber nothing these
1: items cost a dime. Yeah, nice I mean? little nice little profit margin there my son loves those things
0: I haven't done a claw machine in a long time again I just feel like I'm kind of getting hosed like yeah yeah you are it's not an That's arcade game it's a it's a game of i guess some skill but mostly of chance and I don't know I like games of chance but it's not really what I'm looking for in, in my entertainment
1: it's you know what think of it like this it's like the carnival game without the actual personal humiliation <laughs> you know what I mean because you could actually give that guy ten dollars you're not you're not gonna win you know, but it feels good to carry around that stuffed animal for the duration of the carnival. But you're not going to win it. But now nah, at least the claw machine doesn't make fun of you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I did win something at a carnival once, but I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like some
0: enormous stuffed animal that I might have like left there or something like that. I, it's like <laughs> you're almost trying to make a point. I don't really want the animal.
1: Yeah, you just want to win. I remember going to
0: some. I don't remember where it was that we would go to, but like where you would take like ping pong balls and throw them into fish
1: bowls. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Do that's they still do that one? Yeah, that's a common one. Absolutely. Or they'll have the fishbowl with the each fishbowl or whatever has the little broomstick handle sticking out. So you have to, it's like a ring toss thing, but the rings just bounce around. They never go. Right. Right. You never get a ringer
0: or the one where you knock down, use the baseball or the sandbag to like knock down the pins, but the pins are like weighted in awkward ways.
1: (laughs) The ones glued down. Yeah.
0: It's like, it's all very like, why do we continue to solicit these? I don't these know. These establishments. It's
1: amazing that they still exist after all this time.
0: It's really ancient. I was watching, you know, I love Downton Abbey and I was rewatching it, you know, some time ago. And there's a thing where all the staff get a day off and they get to go to like some sort of carnival. I remember that. And one. it was very similar. Like, yeah. In like 1920. Nothing's what we were, changed. And I'm like, but this was like a very exciting thing for them. <laughs> this was like a night out on the town. Absolutely. I have, you'd have to pay me to go to one of these things at this point. Like yeah. I, can, I can't, I can't. Uh, You're over that. Now. No, no, no. No, not for me. All right. Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I've always had a real... Like I said earlier, or at least insinuated uh, and alluded to earlier, I always had a real soft spot for this movie. I, I, me too. I think Empire is the superior movie, but I think Jedi is better than A New Hope, and I was always very puzzled by people who thought A New Hope was better than either of the other two. But before we get into the production and the, and what the movie's about and the characters and kind of all of that and kind of our take on it and where it left Star Wars for 7 plus 9, so 16 years... So a pretty long time we, we went without – although we had the expanded universe and stuff like that, man. I'm bad at math. <laughs> you got it. You what know. do you remember about the lead-up to this movie and, and when you found out about it, maybe when you saw, this, saw the first trailer? I, I'd really love to hear what what was going on with you because you were obviously old enough to remember and old enough to kind of be all in on an IP like this at this point.
1: Yeah. I remember a lot of the stuff that came out for the – the movie, like the products. I don't remember the toys. I don't remember the timing of the toys. Now I know how that timed out, but I don't remember how that played out when I was a kid. But I remember as a nine year old having like the lunchbox, having the bedsheets. A lot of this stuff came out before the film, as I remember. And the biggest memory I have of Return of the Jedi is, you know, seeing the commercial. I was old enough now to be soaking in sort of the run up. So I remember seeing the trailers. I remember seeing the posters and we were really excited for it. We were already huge Star Wars fans. So, you know, we already loved New Hope. We already loved Empire. We we're waiting for the n- this next one. I also got the Star Wars newsletter, which was Bontha Tracks. It might have not been called Bontha Tracks anymore. It might have been called just a Star Wars fan letter or whatever at that point. But so I had, you know, you had like behind the scenes news. So I, I think it was just a, a matter of being a little older now that we were more in tune and paying attention to things. I remember having a sticker book, like a really cool s- sticker book that you could buy, like the book itself at like a stationery store. And then you could buy, you know, like a baseball card set of stickers to fill in each page. You had different pages of the sticker book. You know, you had the Java page, the Sail barge page, the Space Battle page, the Rancor page, whatever. So we were really psyched about it. And... My biggest memory, though, is of actually going to the theater because it's the first to go see it, which was early on. I don't know if it was opening day or whatever, but it was very early, the first week. And the line was wrapped around the theater, literally. And that's the first time I ever saw that, anything happened like that. And this was even a little bit just before the advent of the multiplex. This might have been a movie theater with three or four theaters in it, but it was before the advent of having a dozen theaters inside of one building. And also, I think we were talking about this in another, a previous episode, I had seen a lot of movies in the drive-in on the big screen previously to this. Now, I definitely saw, I saw Empire in a theater, not in a drive-in, and there were some other ones, but this was one of the first ones I remember seeing in a theater, and it was extra striking because that line was wrapped around the building. I remember literally standing in the back of the building, not even on the side, next to a dumpster. And, like, that was wrapped, you know, we were wrapped three quarters of the way around the building, you know. And I remember thinking, like, is the line going to meet itself? <laughs> you know, I remember, like, right. l- literally thinking, like, that, that was such a new concept for me, you know. And that was, it was actually, it must have been extra striking because I already had been to Disney World once as a seven-year-old and saw l- huge lines. So, but that was so weird to see in, like, a suburb, you know, of New York we're just go on Long Island, go to see a movie. This lines wrapped around the theater, so it was uh you know it was so exciting, and it, it had it had exciting beginnings, you know, which kind of played into how much we loved the movie later on. Was there appreciable
0: buzz with your friends and with your peers for definitely, the movie?
1: Definitely. I mean,
0: obviously people were excited to see it as you're telling us the story about the line wrapping around the theater, but was there also a palpable buzz in the
1: months leading to the to the movies? We were excited. We were definitely excited, especially my friend Tommy and I who were huge. My other friends were also fans, you know, more casual fans, but Tommy and I remember just being so, you know, so ready to see it. Like, Oh my God. Cause it, cause it fueled our play too. And I think we were ready for something else. You know, we were really big on kind of reenacting things from empire and star Wars and new hope and everything like that. So I think we were kind of ready for something else. I think we were mind, really mindful of that. And I think we were excited for the whole thing. You know, we were excited for the toys. And I I had explained before in another episode, I was burnt, seriously burnt on getting spoiled for for Empire, for the whole Vader father thing. So I was very mindful of not talking to people, especially like the older kids on the block that might have been able to see it first. That was the thing I definitely remember feeling like, I don't want this... Whatever happens in this movie, because we and we still didn't know that was the other thing. That was another big thing going into the movie. We didn't know if Darth Vader was telling the truth or not.
0: We'll talk about that in a little while, but that was something Lucas was cognizant of, which was the entire reason Yoda was even in Return of the Jedi at all. Right. And we'll talk about a little bit about that. But do you
1: remember seeing Revenge of the Jedi? Anything
0: like posters
1: and such? I feel like I do remember it because I feel like the text was a different color. There was a movie theater where we went to in on Long Island, which was a few towns away from us. But for some reason, that's where we always went. And I remember seeing something else there a month or two prior and seeing feeling like I saw the movie poster. And the Revenge of the Jedi text was like different. It was like an orangish red. It was strange. And so I feel like later on when I heard about that anecdote, I feel like I definitely saw them because apparently there are a lot. There were a lot in the wild. Yeah,
0: they apparently also sold like almost seven thousand of them through the newsletter when they oh, they had like a about that. stock. So those people must go for them. A- so people must have must have. Hopefully, people were smart enough to know what that was going to be.
1: Can you imagine?
0: So just to catch people up on this little anecdote, the movie was originally codenamed Blue Harvest. We'll get into why that was as well because that's really important. But Revenge of the Jedi was. Not the original name. Return of the Jedi was the original name. And it was Lawrence Kasdan who wrote the script for Empire and wrote the script for Jedi. And later wrote the script, I think, for Rogue One. Or not Rogue One, for Episode 7. Yeah. Him and his son, I think. wrote yeah. He told Lucas, like, it's not a strong enough name, and, and and so they changed it to Revenge of the Jedi. And then, very late in the game, changed it to Return of the Jedi. But I don't know if you read, Dig, and I was reading some sources, and I'm not entirely sure what's true and what's not, what's rumor or conjecture. There is some conjecture that Lucas always was going to name it Return of the Jedi and was so paranoid about people fucking with merchandise and selling unofficial merchandise that he named it Revenge of the Jedi and then did it, change it at the very last second to kind, really? of, to kind of, like, fuck
1: bootleggers. Any kind of bootlegger yeah. or anything like that. No, I read that he turned it back because he... You know the the story that we I'm sure we all know that he felt like revenge wasn't a very Jedi esque mantra, so I'm going to change it back to return because Jedi's don't seek revenge. But I like that theory, and I could see George Lucas doing that. You know, like keeping it that, like say, okay, we're going to keep it that way, (laughs) and switching at the last minute. That's very that's very savvy,
0: actually. So the movie came out on May 25th, 1983, six years to the date of a New Hope's launch in the United States. And it had a $40 million budget or so. The numbers are a little nebulous and engrossed in that original, I think in unadjusted money, by the way, in that original run in 83, $500 million. Wow. George Lucas paid for it himself like he did with the other movies. Very smart decision. And, you know, in in reading about this, Dagan, one part I didn't know about this was that George Lucas, for the Star Wars films, and I'm not sure if this translated to indie as well, but for the Star Wars films certainly, was a completely non-union film and... Caused them a lot of issues with getting places to film and crew to staff their movies.
1: Wow, I don't think I knew that.
0: I was reading something about how George Lucas, like, really, especially after Empire Strikes Back, there was a lot of like bitterness towards his success because he left the system, funded his own movie, basically dumped all the profits from A New Hope into Empire in hopes to double or triple his money and then succeeded. And then people were really bitter he did that because a lot of people were working for, you know, comparable crumbs on huge films in which the movie system, the movie. Houses, as it were, the, the the publishers and whatnot, were kind of hoarding the money. So I think a lot of people kind of l- looked jealously at Lucas's success. Wow. It would
1: make sense. And that
0: kind of came to a head with this one. The okay. other interesting thing about this, for me, are the people that turned down directing the movie. <laughs> this is funny. I couldn't imagine anyone turning down Return of the Jedi, but people did. Steven Spielberg turned it down, which isn't a huge surprise. And I don't really, I, I'm glad he didn't do it. But the big, the two big names that turned it down, David Lynch was offered the movie, <laughs> so most famous for Twin Peaks. Yeah. And David Cronenberg, who is known for like scanners and Videodrome, turned the movie down. And so the job went to Richard Marquand, who actually died in 1987. I didn't realize he died so quickly after the movie came out, because I was always wondering like, why don't you, you don't hear very much from this guy. About him, yeah. And it's because he passed away, unfortunately, at like a, a fit, age 50 of a stroke, I think, which is terrible. Howard Kazanjian. Produced it. He also produced Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Lawrence Kasdan, as we said, wrote the script with George Lucas's ideas in mind. If I asked you what Return of the Jedi is about, what do you think it's about? First of all, David Lynch
1: and David Cronenberg, could there be any two stranger choices for, like, you know, one's, one's known for weird movies and one's known for really weird movies, you know? Unbelievable! I Those think they are, dodged a bullet, to be honest. Uh, oh, my! Th- thank God that worked out the way it did. And I, li- I like both directors, especially David Lynch. David Cronenberg's a little body horror-y for me, but I like David Lynch specifically, but yeah, not a great choice for Star Wars.
0: Yeah, I don't characters. know. I, I really do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like a lot of people d- could not or would not work with them
1: because <laughs> so, of the whole union issue. So strange. But what, So what do I think of Return of the Jedi from the outset? I'm, I'm
0: curious, Like, if you were to describe it, because I wrote it down, I, I never really described it. And I'm curious, like, how you describe the movie. Like, how do you describe what the movie's about? A synopsis.
1: You know what? First of all, I think I would just say that if you're, if I would describe it to you as a Star Wars fan, you know, as if, as if I'm speaking to a Star Wars fan, saying that this is the, it felt like the final chapter in the story, playing off of the Empire's, you know, sort of rise to dominance and rise to you know the 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 empire strikes back ends with the empire having the upper hand and this i would say return of the jedi is the rebels trying to get back into the fight you know it's a it's a rescue mission of an important character and it's sort of that rise and fall where you have star wars new hope the rebels the rebellion wins and then the Empire Strikes Back is the Empire's revenge, you know. And now it's back to having giving the rebellion another chance to redeem themselves and to sort of, you know, seize victory. But there's, mo- there's so much more to it than that. For me, it's probably the most sublime movie of the trilogy. It's very odd. You were saying earlier, it's, very, it's always been very odd to me that people consider this their least favorite of the trilogy. That never struck me that never that that never resonated with me i always felt like it was i i feel like return of the jedi is the most fun and i feel like it's the i mean it has the most going for it in turn it's the newest in terms of the new trilogy as far as the technology and as far as you know making a more modern presentation that probably dates itself the least you would say right I I really think it's one of the most sublime movies for me. I think it's perfectly paced, and I think it's a lot of fun. And I want to get into I want to get into why we you and I love it so much, and why people sort of reject it the most out of the original trilogy. I think people like it, but I think people historically were very critical of it as well. But how would you sum it up? First of all, how would you sum it up, Kyle? How would you sum up the movie and what it's about?
0: I mean, it's not a huge surprise. It almost sounds like a like a stupid thing to say, but it's a movie that is it's absolutely necessary that you have context be going into the movie. Otherwise. The the movie roves forward without really ever alluding to what happened, so it's not like the traditional sequel that you can get something out of without having seen the original.
1: Yeah, it jumps right in, with so, the exception of the opening crawl. Right. That's Right. The only right. Thing. That's yeah. that's the only thing. Right.
0: And so I always enjoyed that. Like it, it, that's what gives me goosebumps about the movie, and like why I, I get ramped up about it. Luke walking to go to Jobs palace and ha- talking to Bib Fortuna and stuff like that is really an awesome scene. Me uh, for me too. And. It's just as if you're wondering where, what these guys have been doing and where they've been. And through the action and through the storytelling, you can tell that they've developed a plot to break Han out. And it's just so cool because it just makes assumptions. Without a 10-minute scene on the Falcon... With Lando being like, so what are we doing again? Yeah, and and Leia being like, I'm gonna dress up as a bounty hunter. Luke's gonna go and walk through the front door. I'm already gonna, you know, it's interesting in that respect. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It plays out. It re- it slowly reveals itself to you, which makes for good good drama and good storytelling.
0: I just feel like it's it's a much more direct continuation from Empire than a New Hope into Empire. Like, oh, definitely. You understand what happened and and that they've been put in a perilous position in Empire, but there's not a direct thread back. But there is just Han and representing himself in carbonite in the movie is the direct thread and kind of the continuation of
1: the story right. it becomes a very personal story at that point it's funny that you say that too Kyle because I know a year we talked about this before but I always forget I know a ye- it's about a year between Empire and Jedi right but how long of a time period was it between Star Wars New Hope the first one and Empire
0: I don't know it could be a similar amount of time I assume maybe But I don't know I don't yeah. know
1: so that's interesting
0: but yeah I would describe it as The obvious resolution of the arc, it seems like a much more personal story. For me, the battle with the Empire is is actually tertiary to the rest of it, because they want to rescue Han from Jabba, so it's a very personal thing, and Luke wants to confront Vader. It almost has nothing to do with the Empire at this point. They're building another Death Star, which I always found strange. Do you remember how you felt about that when you saw it in orbit
1: around Endor or whatever? I thought because the imagery was uh, breathtaking.
0: It's very cool looking, but I was just like, you're building
1: it again? Yeah. You just built it. <laughs> it didn't work out the first time. What's going to be so different about it this time? Yeah, you well, you know what? That maybe speaks to your rationality too, uh, you as a person, to, you know, personally. But no, for me, the imagery was always so cool. I always loved the look of like the half-completed Death Star because we've seen so much, not only Star Wars, but so many science fiction properties up to that point And we never saw like a half assembled thing. We never thought about how is this thing built. You know, it it opened up so many questions and I think it was a really creative approach to it was it was kind of brilliant in a way, you know, and the fact that it's operational and even it's not even half done. And it gets into a lot of things. For me, I always found that really cool. It is it is weird that they're building the exact same thing, but I guess maybe it feels different because it looks so different.
0: It definitely invokes like really mundane questions, like who builds it? Like literally, do they have a staff of people? Yeah, yeah that whole how, Kevin many, Smith. how many thousands, tens of thousands, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people are working on this thing?
1: Contract, non-contract. Yeah, you there's know.
0: all sorts of. Yeah, they have to have laborers and people in charge of the labor <laughs> and people making the plans. Now, of course, the person who makes that's that's kind of ties into Rogue One somewhat intimately. The movie It does, which I think is very cool. It does, and definitely. how they put that fa- you know that fatal flaw in it on purpose, but which is such an amazing an amazing story. But then, you know, the episode eight ruins the entire thing because why didn't
1: they just jump a ship into it? Right, the whole thing with that. You know what's funny, Kyle? You strike me as a very this is a very humorous thing. What if Return of the Jedi opened and there was just another Death Star? It just looks exactly the same. <laughs> that, would hilari- that would have been hilarious. That would have been hilarious. But you know, you know what? You're right though. Now I'm thinking about it. It is a very strange choice not to give them. Okay, the Death Star is building another. The Empire, rather, is building another super weapon. That makes sense. But why not make this thing look different? You know, maybe it's a giant ship. Maybe it's a giant planet-based thing. Whatever. It is very strange to go back to the well again. You know, and I'm not sure what the reasoning was behind that. It lacks that.
0: a lot. Of, it always struck me as a complete lack of creativity.
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like that. Why not,
0: right? why not weaponize a planet and then you use some incredible technology to, like, move it around or something like that? Or, like, the Death Star wasn't good enough, so you make something even grander <laughs> and bigger. Instead of something that people confuse as a moon, they confuse it as a planet.
1: Yeah. Because right. it is one. Right, right, Something
0: like that. Because when Force Awakens, I've gotten a little softer on Force Awakens the more I've gotten distant from it because it really is so reductive. They're building another super weapon. Uh,
1: Yet another.
0: How many of these things are you going to build?
1: And it has a trench again.
0: It's so weird. (laughs) It's so, like, this is the best you can come up with. By the way, guys, you can just jump all your capital ships into whatever you want, so you don't have to worry about any (laughs) of these things. Just build a whole flotilla of Star Destroyers. And have R two units man them, and and droids man them, and just ram the shit out of things with them. That's all you have to do. <laughs> you know, Ryan Johnson told you that's all you have to do. That's it. How anyone can get past that, by the way, is beyond me. I have no idea how anyone's getting past that. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's it beyond. makes no sense. I'm gonna repeat it one more time. It makes <laughs> no sense that you can do that in that movie and that no one is doing that to each other. That would be it's all you would
1: though. do. Yeah, that's all they would do.
0: Makes no sense. Just yeah. I'm just gonna uh, you know I can say it
1: over and over again. Beyond suspension of disbelief, you know? It's ridiculous. It's it's pretty funny.
0: That really infuriated. Me. <laughs> and I was so pleased because these little minor things and 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 kind of squabbles I have with them with various movies, a lot of people don't share, but this is one that people share. Yeah, this is a, a problem big for people. It's a biggie. Yeah. Right, I can't believe they're letting that guy just makes more Star Wars movies. He totally fucking shat the bed the first time. <laughs> Unbelievable to me. I was reading Dagan about the things that, or I guess the plot points and the various character arcs that were maybe going to be in the movie or maybe weren't going to be in the movie. And one of the interesting things about this from a behind the scenes standpoint that I think is fascinating for the audience to know is that Harrison Ford had only signed a two movie deal. Yeah. Everyone else was on board as far as I understand the the main protagonists and characters were on board for three movies. But Han had only signed or Harrison had only signed for two movies but he had just signed a three movie deal for Indy. In, in the pre-production phase of Star Wars and, or Jedi anyway. And so they kind of convinced him to sign on for the third movie as well. Originally, they put him in carbonite because they didn't know what was going to happen to him. Exactly. They, I never knew that. And he had suggested that he die in Jedi. Right. He was actually quite adamant about it. About like a self-sacrifice kind of thing. He ends up dying in episode seven. But I didn't know that until more recently. And I'm like, why why is he so keen on killing himself off? It's very weird. Like it puts a lot of the things with episode seven in the context where I was like, "Why are you killing yourself off here?" And I'm like, "Oh, you wanted to kill yourself off in Jedi, so," and I feel like he regretted it or something because he's just being bothered by this for the rest of you know, yeah. rest of his career. Yeah, yeah. How would you have felt if Han
1: died? I don't. I cannot see that. I think it's a. I you know, historically, it was Harrison Ford and Lawrence Kasdan right that both wanted to kill him early on in in Empire, right? And they said it was going to be like some kind of a rebel raid on an imperial facility or something like that. And Han was going to, you know, die in the attack, you know, a rebel initiated attack, which is interesting. And George Lucas was steadfastly against it, refused to accept it, which is a very wise decision, I think. They say George Lucas's focus was on the merchandising potential of not killing Han, which you could see is a big, you know, that would be a big thing. But I can't imagine... Return of the Jedi ending with any of the main protagonists dead, even Lando. I think there's enough of a bittersweet sentiment at the end of Return of the Jedi with all the characters alive, the struggles that they've gone through. But them celebrating all together, you know, along with the droids and Chewie and even guys like Wedge and stuff, all celebrating on Endor together and being, to, being able to be together celebrating at the end of the movie felt re- feels really important to me. And plus, I will get into this a lot more later on, but I love the sort of three piece structure um, during the final, I guess it's the final third of the movie, where you have the battle on Endor, the battle in space, the battle, you know, the, the raid on the Death Star, and also Luke's confrontation with the Emperor. Having all three of those things with the characters spaced out. You couldn't do that without Han. He's the major player on Endor trying to break down the shield, trying to destroy the shield generator. So can you imagine him not being in there? I mean, it would just be such a different... I was I was actually kind of... I'm actually sad enough that he died in episode seven.
0: Yeah, I'm bummed about that too. I think that's what he wanted. He it, definitely wanted that. But some people just leave him, leave him alone. Harrison Ford seems like the most reluctant actor of all time. He when definitely does. It's unbelievable. He's trying to kill himself in plane crashes and he's... <laughs> And he's trying to kill himself also in these in these various movies, which makes me so surprised, like that he signed on to Indy Five and stuff. I'm like,
1: yeah, I guess the money talks, huh?
0: Sure, yeah, but I was sad about that too, especially because he kind of goes out like a bitch in Episode Seven. I I, I, like I think Kyle Ren sucks. I hate that character.
1: Yeah, you don't like.
0: Kylo. I don't like it that character at all. I have no. He's just an emo dude with a, a <laughs> lightsaber with, and I really don't understand what his deal is. I just. I don't want to make this a bitch session about those movies, but I just don't understand. Well, you got to
1: speak your mind on it.
0: I don't understand why they're doing this. J.J. Abrams did a very nice job.
1: Yeah, he set the plate, I think, in a, in a respectable way. It's a
0: very safe movie, which yeah. is fine. I understand why he did it that way and why they wanted sure, to do sure. it that way. I don't understand why they didn't continue to use him and gave it to another dude who doesn't understand Star Wars the same way. But yeah, it was disappointing to see Han killed in that way. I wish... He, they do these bold things in those movies like with the weird Leia thing in episode 8 etc so but then when i want them to do something fucking really bold and crazy like make luke the bad guy no they won't do that
1: <laughs> you, really, you really i really them. wanted that to you happen really I, was, love that.
0: I was somewhat convinced that that was going to happen like that that was going to be the, the arc i was somewhat convinced about that
1: yeah because well, cuz they kept saying and ryan johnson kept saying in interviews and stuff this is an unexpected direction it's not going to sit well with people initially they were really teasing something you know that ended up not being really anything. It just ended up being pretty, pretty poor, actually.
0: Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you've come around to the understanding that that movie is not as good as you
1: thought it was. It's not. Saw. It's not a great movie. There's some redeeming values to it, but all in all, it's pretty bad. I, I'll say this: it's this for me. It's disappointing. You know, it's disappointing.
0: I just wish they, again, I just wish they would continue with the interstitial movies because they seem to be doing a nice job with those.
1: We'll see. I mean, who's, JJ's back for nine, right? That's how it ended up coming out in the wash. I
0: don't know. I thought, I thought Ryan was, oh no, Ryan's moving on to the next trilogy. He's going on to the next
1: trilogy and I think JJ's stepping back. if I'm not mistaken, that's what's happening. So hopefully he redeems himself, but
0: I don't even, like I said in a previous episode, I'm not even sure what the stakes are. If you ask me like, what is episode nine going to be about? I'm like, I have no idea.
1: No, I have no clue. Still have no
0: idea who Snoke was. (laughs) Literally no idea what that it's character. Not important because he's dead now. I have no idea what that character was, and I saw in a dead series way someone's like, "Well, that's explained in a book," and I'm like, "Shut up!"
1: No, that's. Oh,
0: exactly. Shut
1: up. Let's not even go there with the books. <laughs> you know. No. Oh, that reminds me. By the way, let me get up from my chair real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta definitely. Oh, this is this is this is brilliant. So,
0: I have a PO box. One two PO box one two three three Santa Monica California nine zero four zero six. If you want to send anything to Collins Last Stand. And I get random packages sent to me all the time. And we got a letter from Eric Schneider, who hand-wrote us a letter. So good. You can't read it, but you can hear it. You can hear it. And he says the following to Colin and Dagan. I just want to start by saying thank you for my favorite podcast series, Knockback. And he intercapped it. Thank you for that. The show is really special and shows what a cool, great relationship you guys have as brothers. I especially enjoyed the episode on the Star Wars EU I am, as you would say, a more casual Star Wars fan, as Lord of the Rings is my main thing. Well, you're going to enjoy an upcoming Ah, episode of this show, then.
1: Stay tuned, my friend.
0: After listening to your episode on Star Wars EU, I looked into Timothy Zahn books, and in doing so, noticed he would be coming to San Diego Comic-Con and releasing an exclusive book for the show. I just had to pick it up for you guys. I also had Mr. Zahn sign and personalize it to you both, since he was there at the con. The pins included were also given if you bought the exclusive book. So... Thank you so much for that, Eric dude. Schneider. It's so cool. The copy of the book is is Timothy Zahn's Thrawn Alliances, and he did indeed sign it to both of us in the in, in the insert here. It says, "To Colin and Dagan of Knockback, Timothy Zahn."
1: How cool is that? He he wrote our names and he spelled my name right. He did. Thank you, Timothy. So,
0: on behalf of Mr. Schneider, Dagan, I'm going to give you this for your collection. Oh, you don't have to. I want to do that. Are you to, sure? Yeah, yeah. You take it for your oh collection. Oh my god. Thank you. Give it to so your much.
1: son. That, oh, thank you so much! And it's Eric, right? Yep, Eric. Thank you so much for this. And supposedly, he also wrote that this is a special Comic Con exclusive cover of the book. The real print has um, Vader, not Anakin. So this is a this is extra special. It's very special.
0: I, it's a little less special because it's Hayden Christensen, <laughs> but it's a little more special because I'm putting it's my rare. thumb over his face. Yeah, no, yeah it's not Hayden Christensen. I was looking at IMDb's page for Return of the Jedi, and it's like you know Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford. You know, Carrie Fisher, etc., and then Hayden Christensen because they put him obviously in the special edition or like yeah, repl- oh, that's right. replaced David that's Prowse right. or whoever the hell that was. So so
1: we don't feel bad for him yet. We haven't for Hayden Christensen. He doesn't do anything, does he? Do, no, I don't. Feel I mean, as far as, as acting roles, but you don't. Feel, I mean, I don't, you don't think don't you should bad.
0: be going to his house and boycotting him or something like that. Right. But, but do I feel bad? I don't feel bad that he's a bad. It was a bad actor yeah, in the movies. No, I don't so, feel bad for him. He was bad in that. He Although really a lot of people you made up. You made the point, though, that the a lot of that is about
1: direction. Yeah, it's, there's some
0: really great actors in that movie. Actually, look at Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor. And yeah. yeah, it's it's not like a it's not like a hack cast of characters. Not there. at all. So maybe there's a little more to it than that. I would love
1: for him to be able to redeem himself, but I don't know how we do that.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't if he appears in a movie.
1: I mean, Episode Nine. Well, he would be a Force Ghost. Oh yeah, but, but I, it could still be him.
0: But I'm wondering if you'll ever see him.
1: oh in a film oh as Vader or or
0: maybe as Anakin they can do a lot of interesting things with that you know you never know I I haven't seen him recently I don't know if he would be able to really pass
1: he's so bad that I'm in those films that I'm sort of rooting for him
0: (laughs) (laughs) imagine in 1995 someone says to you you know how cool Anakin Skywalker is and Vader is Um, you're gonna hate him in 10 years and and someone says to you they're not gonna ruin him once they're gonna ruin him with two different actors oh my god they're gonna ruin child Anakin and they're gonna ruin adult Anakin right Oh, boy. Thank God that they made Obi-Wan cooler. I do. I will say this. Mm, We're getting true. off track here, but I that's will say okay. this. Obi-Wan Kenobi comes out of the prequels looking better than he even does in the Obi-Wan new movies. Obi-Wan
1: comes out of the prequels looking better.
0: The rendition of Obi-Wan in the prequels is awesome, in my opinion. Yes. The decisions he makes and all that kind of stuff. Are, but like, the character is cool enough for me where I'm like, that totally adds a lot of credence to Obi-Wan, to Obi-Wan's Definitely. new hope kind of persona.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that.
0: But Vader... i have a real problem with the way the way they treated him the other interesting thing here digging that i was reading there were a few other tantalizing what ifs in the movie before we get kind of into i i'd like to go through the different sections of the movie with you yeah absolutely but there are a few other like what ifs with not uh, apart from harrison ford there was a theory that obi-wan was going to come back that there was this push to bring obi-wan back as an actual person like that he would not be a force ghost but would rematerialize he
1: would come back to life
0: they obviously threw the kibosh on that, although you do see him at the end. Yeah, Like I said earlier, Yoda was not in the script and no one was even going to put Yoda in the script. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that George Lucas was afraid that people were going into the movie thinking that Vader was lying and they wanted to make sure it was crystal clear that Vader wasn't lying. And the only way to do that is for, Obi- or is for Yoda to confirm to Luke, right. Dagobah, that Vader is Luke's father. Do you remember that being a thing that, that people thought he was lying like going into the
1: movie. Was that a common theory? Yeah, I mean we didn't know if, whether Vader was lying or not. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know. That was I think that was part of the draw and part of the excitement of going in to see this in the theater. Was that what is Vader telling the truth? There was really no reason to believe that he was telling the truth. In and at the end of Empire, I mean the 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 gravity of the performances and the intensity of that scene and Bespin and everything is one thing, but there was no really reason we only know Vader is a very bad figure at that point. You know, he's a bad man. So why would he be telling the truth? You know, it's, it seemed like it could have been coercion. Coercion. Who knows? You know, no, I don't think I believed it Did necessarily. You,
0: did you anticipate you were going to see him with his helmet off?
1: No, that was, that was, uh, I, I mean, we'll get to that scene, but I love that scene. But no, I would have never thought that. No, not at all. When
0: I mean, he's an old, fat, balding man.
1: <laughs> Humpty Dumpty-like. <laughs> he,
0: he just fell off the wall, it looks like. The final thing that's really interesting to me is, and this is common knowledge, but worth talking about, is that the original script had them going to Kashik, which is Chewie's home planet. We don't see that until the prequels, but the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookies, and I think it was a somewhat shrewd move, whether it backfired or not, on George Lucas to, again, increase merchandise by putting oh, yeah. these cute things in there. Yeah. The interesting thing that I didn't know until I was researching for this episode, I never heard this, was that the word Ewok is not muttered in the movie once.
1: It oh, was they never say Ewok? They never
0: say Ewok. It's a thing that's in the credits, and it's a thing that's obviously in, on the toys. Yeah. But they, they never label. refer to that race, like Endor's endemic race, as the Ewoks.
1: I never thought of that. Which that's is very interesting. interesting. Do they ever say any of the names of the Ewoks? Did they say Wicked? Do they I don't say think so. I, Nothing, right? I don't think so, no. That's interesting. Mm, it is. That really
0: is. It is interesting. So... Before we, get in, before we break things down, I thought I would jump back to the beginning just to talk about what I mentioned earlier, which was Blue Harvest. Yes. Return of the Jedi, as you could imagine, was an incredibly heavily anticipated movie. Empire was heavily anticipated too, but it wasn't even necessarily obvious, especially in the pre-internet days, that they were even going to make another one. If you weren't paying attention you could have assumed reasonably that there would be not another Star Wars movie. And if you were kind of more closely connected to reading the paper or watching the news or whatever, then you would have heard that Empire was being made. But based on the nature of where it was filmed, and, and a lot of the shots are on sound stages in London and then, you know, in really snowy terrain, it was not really a domestic production in any really respect. But this that's not true with Return of the Jedi. A lot of the desert scenes were filmed in the Southwest in the United States, yeah. and Endor was all filmed in Northern California. So this exposed them... To American media and American press in a way that they were not protected on the London sound stages that they they did a lot of the ships, you know, and and kind of cloud city shots and all that kind of stuff. And they were not doing the tattooing scenes in the in the kind of deserts on the other side of the world yeah, in Tunisia. So they had to make up an, a fake name and obscure the production so that no one would spoil it. And the other thing is, is that they were horrified that vendors and people that were working with the production would jack the price up of everything they were asking for if they knew that it was a Star Wars
1: movie. That's amazing that they were afraid of price gouging. Yeah, were, I just read yeah. that recently, never realized that was an aspect of that.
0: Yeah, very interesting, right? Very interesting. So they were afraid that if they found out that Star Wars was the production and not this Blue Harvest horror movie that they were faking making, that they were going to you know have to pay t- two or three times more for everything that they were getting, whether it was catering or... Security or whatever the case. Yeah, might be. any
1: kind of service.
0: And so they made this name up called Blue Harvest, and they went as far as to like make the crew wear Blue Harvest shirts, and they had like Blue Harvest hats and business cards and you know tarps and all these things and signs to like really sell it. So cool. But there are some like anecdotal. There's some stories of like people knowing that this was going on. There's a story about a dune buggy race in the desert when they were filming stuff, and they were basically being harassed by like 60 or 70 people that straight up knew but this was in the pre-internet day. So they got their autographs and their photographs but these things are like we're not if that happened right. today we would know the whole plot of the movie immediately
1: and we would know it immediately, you know. So
0: really interesting stuff from that perspective. And again, just the non-union nature of it, the the inability for them to kind of get a lot of help and the kind of renegade indie nature, the the reality is that Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi are independent movies. They're funded privately outside of the union framework that all these movies are built in. And I, I thought that that was a very fascinating point. Yeah. So wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah.
1: Great. It's a great, it's a great anecdote about the movie.
0: All right. Let's go through the movie real quick. All right. No, we don't have to go quick. We can go as slow as you want, actually right. slow and steady. I like slow. I suppose, I mean, the movie doesn't technically start with Java's palace, but I think that we probably should start there. Yeah. What do you make of that scene? I, I, and what did you make of Java when you first saw him? Because oh. he's referred to in a new hope. And as we know, he was supposed to be in A New Hope. He was actually a, a, a humanoid gangster, and we see that footage later on when they were doing the special editions right in 97. But what did you make of this character? What did you make of this scene? Because for me, Java's Palace, just like Mos Eisley, adds a ton of layers and context and contours to the film and also to the universe or the galaxy that it takes place in, that there's incredibly seedy shit going on, And organizations that the Empire respects enough to leave alone or work with.
1: Yes. And this is one of them. Yeah, it benefits them to work with them.
0: Instead of, like, fucking them up or having some sort of conflict there, there's basically a three-way trade going on between everybody. I love that. Jabba wants Han. The, The Empire wants to get rid of Han, so they lure everyone to Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back. Vader hires Boba Fett with Jabba. Yeah. It's a really fascinating kind of thing. It's a little, actually, unnecessarily complicated, probably, but... What did you make of all of that? Because that's really how it opens up, and you see yeah. all new, incredibly confident and powerful Luke using the same tools that Obi Wan used in A New Hope, including exactly. including you know. Well, you can go on and talk exactly.
1: about it. exactly the first twenty minutes to thirty minutes of Return of the Jedi is probably all in all my favorite bit of any of Star Wars from A to Z, all including all of them. So Luke coming into Jabba's palace specifically is one of my favorite moments in all of the movies, but Jabba specifically it's so we're on a familiar place. We're on a familiar planet in Tatooine, but this is a whole new side of it that we're seeing now. And Jabba has been referred to since the first film. So now we're getting a taste of who this guy really is. And Jabba to me was always very striking because as, you know, as outlandish, you know he's basically a giant space slug but as outlandish as that is think about what he is and what he looks like and everything it feels it feels so realistic and it, he not only feels realistic but he feels truly menacing and this isn't this is not even a creature that's particularly mobile i mean he's basically like you know a giant slug you know he doesn't even have legs for him to feel so menacing and for him to feel like such a real threat was always so palpable. And also, it holds up. He holds up all the practical effects that they did with Java, uh, Java hold up so well. And I think what adds a lot to it, Kyle, and you would probably agree with this, is his voice. His voice is the most, ama- one of his most amazing aspects. You know, and I love the whole thing of, you know, the whole caper that our heroes put together to rescue Han is coming to fruition now, and we're seeing it take place and you're right it the last time we saw luke he just got his hand chopped off he was kind of on his last legs he was rescued in the nick of time from falling off this you know building in cloud city and he's huddled in a blanket and he's in terrible shape and the next time we see him he's literally wearing black robes and a black hood and he's storming into he's storming into a building like he owns the place and force choking the its inhabitants you know, it's like what is that? You know, it's the. If you think about that, it's it's unbelievable. It left such an impression on me. I still go on YouTube and watch that scene. It's actually um very quick scene, but it's really, really. It's always resonated, and it's really one of my favorite. It's really one of my favorite moments, and it's not because it it does make Luke look badass and that's cool, but I think it's just the contrast. I think it's the contrast of everything that we're seeing from the last time we saw it and how it's picking up and I think that says a lot you know it's it's very exciting
0: what did you make of some of the characters you get introduced to before we get into Jabba himself a little further you you see Bib Fortuna yeah you see the Gamorreans the guards you see Salacious Crumb and they
1: they all feel so different
0: they it's it just feels like it feels like Mosaic it feels like an extension of Mosaic it feels
1: like an extension yeah it feels familiar but different and Dengar's in there Dengar is in there Right.
0: Which is so weird. I didn't know that. But just real quick. Yeah. There's a there's a I remember someone asking me at IGN there. It was I don't remember the exact number, but it's like there are 13 characters in in more than one Star Wars movie. Right. Right. And so I'm like, all right, well, obviously the main, you know, C-3PO and R2 and Luke and Leia and Lando and whatever. And then Wedge, Boba Fett, stuff like that. Right. But there was one missing. and I'm like, who is it? Who is it? I like I agonize over this all day. I'm like, I don't understand who could it possibly be. And they're like, it's Dengar. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) I was like literally indignant. I was like indignant. Right. I was like, no, he isn't. No. Right. And they're like, Dengar is in Return of the Jedi. And I'm like, no, he isn't.
1: (laughs) And he literally is. He's in the background. There he is. And I'm like, what? Isn't that so crazy? Why the hell is he here? I know. It's very weird. Somebody anyway. had to think of it, though. Yeah, I
0: know, and that's the cool part. It's like which is so cool. It is very interesting. So anyway, just that's just a little. I but, would love to know
1: about that. But yeah, the, and things. how did you feel when you saw Boba Fett? I love, I, I love that. Bo- I was so excited. We were so excited to see Boba Fett again. It was so, when Empire ended. He was one of our favorite characters. So badass, you know. I love the whole. We talked about it already when we did Empire, but when we talked about Empire, but the whole scene with him. Taking Carbonite Solo out to the dock, the loading dock where Slave One is waiting, and Luke's pursuing him, and he keep and Boba Fett's shooting around the corners because you know someone's behind him. Like that sort of prowess, presenting that character without saying a lot, and just showing it, was so it it just really spoke to us as kids. We couldn't wait to see more of the character. You know, there was such an air of mystery around him. It was so cool that and, and just the whole atmosphere of the first half hour of the film of Return of the Jedi you know the whole atmosphere of at jabba's palace. I think that's a really good point that you brought up. It sort of echoes stuff that we knew already. It not only is it taking place on the same planet, but it is sort of holdovers of the Mos Eisley cantina. It feels a lot like that. It's just different. It's it's presented on a bigger scale. You know, with a with a with the actual villain that's sort of ruling over the whole thing. I just love Jabba and the whole Jabba's Palace thing. I'm so sad. I'm actually a little bit sad when that whole when you know the sail barge blows up and they leave And, you know, don't forget the droids and then it's like, all right, then the rest now it's the rest of the movie, you know, which I also love. But it's like, yeah,
0: (laughs) I wish that Lucas had a little more care in preserving the memory of some of these characters in a better way. The way Boba Fett goes out is
1: obviously ridiculous. Yeah, we have to talk about Boba Fett Let's get into him, too.
0: Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about him. First of all, the special I know you have a problem with the special edition Boba Fett in Jabba's Palace flirting with
1: the you and I have to have we'll talk about that. Let's talk about our stances. on.
0: Yeah. So. We're referring to the scene where Boba Fett, it's only in the special editions, which are kind of the canon versions of the movies now. Yeah where Boba Fett like walks through is like walking through a crowd and one of the dancing girl like one of the attractive dancing girls is there and he kind of just like puts his hand on her chin and like and like she smiles at him and he like walks by. I actually love that. Yeah. I think it's fucking super cool. You thought cool. that was super cool. And you have a huge problem with it. I hated it. I don't understand so explain to me why why this is such a problem. I for you. think
1: there's two reasons. I think there's part of me that wants to see the least of Boba Fett as possible because I want to maintain that air of mystery. I don't want to even know that he's interested in girls, you know? But all, the bigger Part of it for me was I think Boba Fett. The way I always thought of Boba Fett was that he's all business. There's no way you're gonna outsmart him, and he wouldn't be. I think that's leading into the. Is that when Boosh comes in? Yeah. Right. So he's going to see about something, and the last thing I want to see him is be distracted by by you know a somebody he's sexually attracted to or whatever. I think seeing Boba Boba Fett distracted plays against what I always thought about him as a character like he was 100% business and nothing's going to distract him from his focus. Especially when he's going into actually he's going into a moment where he's got to be, you know, on point. So that does that make sense the way I'm explaining that? It
0: does, but I look at it from a, just a different angle. Yeah. He just delivered a bounty. Yes. He's relaxing. Okay. I would have even loved to see him with his helmet off or something like
1: that. Okay, yeah. okay. That like, might have been interesting.
0: Like literally just in his armor with like no helmet on, maybe unarmed. Even. That could have been cool actually. And it would have even been cool on the skiff when he when they're all fighting if like he literally is unprepared and maybe it only has like some of his armor on. Or yeah, because they're just partying.
1: Or maybe you see him putting his stuff on.
0: Right, right. Like it's it's. I, I always looked that. at it. For, I always looked at it from the like he. This is the conclusion of his bounty. He yeah. has. He knows or trusts the people that are around him. No one's gonna fuck with him. Clearly, he's shown that he can not only work with the Empire. He literally worked with Vader. The prowess is there, but he has this this reputation that allows him to be at a relaxed state. And when he's going to see what's going on with Bausch at Jabba's palace, it could, it could have been like, he's literally feeling like this is nothing. We have a scuffle Mm. here every five seconds. Mm, I see. Someone's always fighting here. That's a valid point. You know,
1: very valid point. I I totally respect and understand that point of view. Yeah. My, my thing was always, that I want to, I think that he's always just all business and it feels a little too much. I don't know if it's cooler that he's more. It shows him more like Han, in the fact of like, oh, he's interested in these earthly pleasures too, or if it shows him like as being like he's nothing. Like he's never, he's never gonna let his guard down. This guy, he's a he's a completely menacing, hundred percent, never gonna let his guard down. You know, type of thing. I don't know what I don't know what's cool. What's cooler actually? But I totally understand your point. That's just the way I always saw that character. You know, it was like he's a hundred percent fight. You know he's a hundred percent. Like no one's going to get the upper hand on I mean, him. That's why he's the best.
0: And how do you feel about like the whole? You know when they're on the skiff. How yeah. do you feel about the way he dies in the in the Sarlacc
1: pit? It's and, completely disrespectful.
0: It's it's absolutely outrageous. I know that Luke or that in the special editions, George Lucas had played around with the idea of letting Boba Fett out of the pit, which would have been outrageous. I
1: didn't know that. That would have been insane.
0: So. Yeah, he, they ended up not, like, obviously doing that. Interesting. But I never knew that.
1: It's not only that
0: he gets defeated. That's not really what bothers me. It's that, like, he, it's an accident. Like, it's not like anyone... He's supposed to be this amazing, galaxy-renowned bounty hunter who flies a ship called the Slave and does things with the Empire and Jabba and all these very seedy and dangerous characters, and then he just gets accidentally knocked out. Yeah, he's it's one of the very most re- fearsome
1: it, guys in the whole universe. It really
0: shows to me... I know that Boba Fett's popularity in Empire surprised George Lucas, but I don't understand how he could be surprised that he needs to treat this character with more care. I have no problem that Boba Fett died. That doesn't bother me at all. No, it really no. doesn't. No, no. It just bothers me that like, it's not something cooler or he doesn't go down with some skill or Luke himself isn't the one who like slashes him down or something like that. Right. Which uh-huh. shows like, yeah, yeah. like instead he like gets hit in the back in his backpack on an accident, you know, and then a rocket goes off and it flies him into the pit. And even the noise that's made and stuff like that, it's very comedic. The burp.
1: It's very weird. It's very it's very strange. To me, it was always... Dis- that must have been disappointing. I always felt like, okay, George Lucas doesn't get it as a kid. I always felt like, okay, how can... And that was the beginning for me. As much as I love Return of the Jedi, and I do love this movie so much, that was always the beginning of me of like, okay, how can somebody who created this not understand what this is? You know? I couldn't articulate it in my head at that point as a nine-year-old, but I thought of like, what? what? Like, how can you do this? He created this. But... To me now, it almost seems like is it not getting it, or is it actually purposely saying like, you know, I don't give a shit about this character, and I'm gonna piss people off. To me, the Boba Fett thing trans. I understand the fact, the sort of literary device of irony and saying, okay, this is the most one of the most fearsome dudes, we're gonna kill him in this comical way. Isn't life funny? But it's outweighed by the fact of it's not. It wasn't worth doing that with a character that you could have been a little more you know i I think i think it was really disrespectful of the fans he knew he knew at even at that point everybody loved boba fett so it just seems like odd to me it seems a little mean-spirited actually
0: yeah there's there's something about what you're saying boba fett boba where (laughs) it's at least cool that they say his name yes
1: i agree with that
0: but uh, because and han is like there's it's kind of interesting when you look at it because han's kind of scared yeah he's like wait boba fett yeah
1: you He's know, like, oh, shit.
0: like he knows that name because Han is totally unaware that Boba Fett's involved. In the even conspiracy. there. Right. That, that's one of the interesting things. Is Han has no idea what the fuck's going on.
1: Can't see anything.
0: Yeah. Like <laughs> he has no idea Boba Fett was even in on it, but he knows the name. So even that suggests a sort of like ramification for being in around this dude. He's fierce. He doesn't want anything to do with him. And then yeah. he accidentally kills him.
1: Yeah. It's re- <laughs> very strange. You know, very I agree strange. with you. It was very disrespectful. What
0: did you think? We mentioned some of the names earlier, but like I was always really drawn to Bib Fortuna. I always thought that that character was really fucking bizarre. Great character. And what, so, what did you think about some of the other cast, like Salacious Crumb, Bib Fortuna, the Rancor, the Gomorians, so, stiff guards? There's a lot of interesting characters and and you know types.
1: Yeah, and visually, yeah, visually a really nice wide variety visually of different characters. Um, I love the Gamor- the Gamorrean guards. I think they're so, I think they're so cool, and they're so unlike, you know the only thing we know in Star Wars you know pretty much we see different things that we see groups of like the Ugnaughts and stuff like that but for the most part it's the Stormtroopers right you have this very regimented very clean group of guys the next time we see an army of something it's the Gamorrean guards and they feel so different and they seem they feel so appropriate for Jabba's palace I always thought they were really cool and really appealing actually you know sort of scary you know they look like they could do some damage Bib Fortuna was always cool because he's the first Twi'lek that we ever see, right? Besides, you know, later we see Ula the Dancing Girl and stuff like that a few minutes later. But he was always really cool. And that whole scene where Luke is sort of using his Jedi mind trick on him is always was always really neat. I always really dug that. Even though you don't understand what he's saying, you could see by his mannerisms what that Luke is actually tricking him, which is really neat. And then, of course, it doesn't work. Tries it. Luke tries it on Jabba. Yeah, and it Jabba work. laughs. So good. Uh, 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 so good. <laughs> and what other? Salacious Crumb always seemed cool. He never bothered me. He, you know, he just seemed like a little lackey. And later on, R two gives him a shock. Right? R two yeah. shocks him with his little electric bolt. And who are, what are the creatures? Among, oh, every, everybody. And that's you know. The, and then a little later on on the sail barge, the skiff battle over the sarlacc. You have the Weequays and the Twos and stuff mm-hmm. like that and all those guys and that. Every, it, felt, it felt coherent. You know, it felt like a little different. It felt definitely different than what we saw in Star Wars previously, but it felt like it could, even as imaginative and different it was as it was, it felt like it, it existed in that world. It felt right. And I always appreciated that. You know, that whole... And I think it speaks a lot to the art direction, too, and the atmosphere of the movie. It was, it's very, very, very well done. Even down to the costuming, not only the way the creatures look, but the costuming, the weapons... Everything felt like it, you know. Everything felt correct. You know what did you What did you think? Who were your standouts during the first?
0: Yeah, other other than before, minutes. other than before Fortuna, who I really liked. One of the standouts to me is, and what, it's very curious, is, is Lando as a Skiff guard. Like no one realized that that was Lando Calrissian. There was no <laughs> one there that knew that this very vaguely who's that guy? This guy that just showed up, like not can't be that long ago. Who looks incredibly familiar? Yeah, he's a gambler and kind of part of the underbelly of the galaxy. And so you think someone would have recognized them, but
1: oh, you know what, Kyle? Also, shouts out to Evie ninety nine. Sure, first Who was time voiced we... by the director. Oh, I, I didn't read... know that. Yeah. I love the voice. I love the voice modulation. She, 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 I think it's a she. She seems very. I think it's the first time we ever see like a sinister droid, right? Right. Yeah, the torture droid. Always really. That was always really striking to me. So neat. You know, that and that was always fun too, with the little gonk droid getting tortured on his bottom of his feet and yeah. stuff like that. So you know, it's like so it's goofy, but it just works. Yeah,
0: there is a comic element to the movie that it was obviously for obvious reasons lost in, in Empire because it just wasn't there.
1: But I liked the
0: way the movie opened and returning the Tatooine for that familiarity and kind of closing the loop with Java, who is this name you just hear about and Seeing that he is like an, an immobile gigantic slug that you would assume anyone could assassinate at any time, but no one chooses to do so. Yeah. So there's there's something to be read about in there too, whether it's fear, whether it's money. I mean, he seems to be quite successful, but then they literally fuck that entire operation up, pretty bad, to get Han. Yeah, yeah. They like leave it in complete ruins.
1: Definitely. Of course.
0: I, I don't want to necessarily jump the jump the timeline, but I, I guess we should talk about Endor next. I mean, what, what, what do you feel like we should be talking about in terms of specifics? Cause to me, it's really all about Jabba's palace. And then what you, what you said, which was the three-way battle, obviously between, you know, the, on the ground and the air and on the death star itself. Yeah,
1: that's a big, that's a big thing. I mean, the, the only other thing I would talk about in the first 40 minutes of the movie that I love, and I don't know how much this speaks to you as well, or how much it speaks to anybody else, but I always love this moment and, and musically this moment too, of when Jabba, is on his sail barge and they're on the skiff and they're going to basically walk the plank into the Sarlacc pit. And Luke, you know, it starts by Jabba saying, you know, Han says, has his exchange with Jabba and then Jabba's just like, put put him in. And that music starts that boom, boom. And L- Luke salutes, cuts to R2, his little hatch opens, the lightsaber pops out. You know, come, you see his hatch open and then Luke jumps off and the, the, the lightsaber springs out of R2. I love that. I, I don't know why I love it so much. I, it could be that the fact of like just the, the way it's storyboarded with the musical beats and everything like that. But I always I always enjoy that scene. I, I've seen that scene 200 times and it's always like the first time I'm watching it. You know, I always love it. I don't even think the battle necessarily the battle over the Sarlacc even lives up to that early moment. It's not it's it's fine. But that that first initial beginning of the battle is always that always spoke to me so much and you know what's making me laugh as, as we're sitting here talking can you imagine a david cronenberg's version of the sarlacc fight that would be absolutely horrifying <laughs> <laughs> that would be absolutely terrifying like i'm so glad david, Cron- david cronenberg didn't he might have
0: just- say but Bo- he might have done boba fett a little more justice <laughs> maybe what did you think
1: when you saw luke's green lightsaber that was well you know what the whole thing did you ever see the the part that was cut out where he's building it in no, I don't think I've movie. ever seen that. that so they filmed it. He's actually, there's a scene where he's, he and R2 are in, in Tatooine somewhere in, in a little hut. And he's taking his crystal and he's doing He's putting the lightsaber together and he ignites it. And they eventually decide that that's, that's going to be cut out. That's not going to be the beginning of the movie. And then it's just going to open with the two droids walking to the palace, which is so cool. So um, I, I think the reveal of the lightsaber was awesome. You know, I think that was so cool. And we didn't talk about the Rancor either, which is also another another really cool sort of, uh, this is a movie of set pieces, you know, just like Empire was and Star Wars, but it has mini set pieces. You know, the whole, the whole Jabba set, Tatooine set piece, you know, is broken down to the inside the palace, the Rancor battle, the Sarlacc battle. The pacing is wonderful, but also the business and just the different, you know, strategic set pieces really make for a fun movie, and the whole movie's like that, really. Jabba's palace, especially—you know—the whole Jabba Tatooine stuff, especially, but even the Rancor battle—it's so, it's so good. Everything is just, everything just feels right to me. You know, I just—I don't have a problem with any of it. Even then, even how time—you ta- know—even though this movie was made so many years ago, you know, it just holds up for me.
0: I mean, we didn't talk about her either. But what about Slave Leia? Obviously, an iconic, right. an iconic image for the movie. Maybe the most iconic thing, actually, in the Huge. movie. Huge. There's so many conflicting discussions about this. About her, her talking about how she wanted to kind of have a stripped down look in the movie. She was tired of wearing like all these clothes, basically. That was yeah. kind of like not feminine, and that she very you know, interesting. I've never really expressed this, but I was young when I first saw these movies, as you were, in my pre you know very pre-sexual days as it were where i was yeah. attracted to anyone and <laughs> i never looked at that as a sexual like at her as like a sexual object of desire in that right. outfit I, i'm not attracted to princess leia at all okay she's, she's just she's princess leia so even in that's like an ant or something so, yeah so like even in that <laughs> outfit i'm like I was never like turned on by that. Like so many people, that's like so many people's nerd fantasy. Oh, i like, love it. it's, it's an important part of the story, but I don't, you know, so what do you make of, of Slave Leia? Because I've, I've always been really fascinated by the iconic nature of that sure, shot definitely, and how sexualized it was for a very young and very, and very sexy Carrie Fisher. But I just never looked at her like that.
1: Yeah. It, it was, it's funny as a boy. I don't remember exactly how it struck on me, struck me as a nine year old. I think I was definitely more into the other things. I don't think that was a distraction at that point, but in hindsight, it feels very much like the old outer space TV serials—the fair maiden in distress that needs to be rescued. It feels—it feels about right. It feels very Flash Gordon, right? And I know that was very much a thing inspiring George Lucas in the movies. For me, though, I always thought, you know, traditional buns—you know, space buns on the side of her head—Princess Leia was cuter, you know. And maybe because she was a bit younger at that point, I don't know. But yeah, I never really. You know, it just felt like another thing. It felt like, you know, I, I remember thinking like, oh, she's going to... Jabba wants her as one of her dancing girls. You know, like that's the way I looked at it as a kid. It's like, oh, she's going to be a dancing girl for Jabba or whatever. Until, you know, later I realized what, you know, it was a little different than that. But <laughs> 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 yeah, just a little bit. She's chained to his... uh <laughs> And he's... You know what the thing is, though? He's making like tongue stuff at her like he's making tongue at her and stuff like that it's like all right it's a little it's a little disturbing you don't do that to girls across the bar
0: (laughs) i learned it from you dad (laughs) let's talk about some of the other characters i guess on the other side of the film so we have the space battle we have the death star battle and we have the endor battle yes there are a couple of key actually really a trio of key characters that are introduced in this movie that I think are relevant to talk about. Mon Mothma being a pretty significant character, Admiral Akbar, and to a much lesser extent, but a still interesting extent, Nee is another oh, character yeah. that's that's in the movie. Absolutely. Were you drawn to any of these new additions? I mean none of them are really all that important, but they all play a role. Nee is kind of the Chewbacca to Lando. Mon Mothma kind of in a leadership position. Admiral Akbar certainly kind of, you know, and is actually in the new movies. They kill Admiral Akbar, which is horrific. <laughs>
1: They're really absolutely do. horrific. They really do. do.
0: Did any of these characters resonate with you? Obviously, Admiral Ackbar specifically is is such a fan favorite. The it's a trap line. It's an iconic line <laughs> from Jedi. But were you drawn to any of them like you were drawn to the any of the characters in, in Jabba's palace? Very
1: much so. I think I think it was so exciting, first of all, to have new a- action figures to collect. Don't forget that was a big thing for us. And, yeah, not only – no, we're not the Ewoks yet, but the Ewoks, to Ackbar, to Ninam to – you know, everybody that was new in the movie th- that we could just sort of wrap our heads around that was a new character. I think we just embraced them all. Ni and Numb always felt a little weird to me because, like, where did this guy come from? But it made sense because Land- Lando needed a co-pilot. I mean, I-, I, think- I still think it would be cool if he threw Lobot in there, but he's not as colorful. Yeah. He's not as colorful as an alien character as Neon and them, So, Yeah, I wonder wh- why Lobot didn't come with him. I don't know. He was obviously... His- bodyguard obviously his right hand guy right that's an interesting question or throw an Ugnaut or two in there right
0: yeah (laughs) with their little shitty toolboxes (laughs) (laughs) and you mentioned the ewoks i mean we have to absolutely talk about the ewoks i love the ewoks i I have no problem with them either no
1: problem people they're just a
0: primitive race on this on this out of the out of the way planet. i never really quite understood what everyone's issue was with the ewoks
1: first of all i love endor i love the fact that they were like it's hoth We already have the snow planet. We already have the desert planet. Let's do the forest planet. And then making it the redwood forest with those ginormous trees. It's just such a wonderful, beautiful set piece. And the Ewoks felt right to me. You know what I loved about the Ewoks and I still love about it is the fact that it's those primitive warriors versus the technology. It's the primitive versus the technical. It's the Ewoks versus the stormtroopers. The Ewoks versus the empire. I love the contrast. I love that there's. I mean, there's a little suspension of disbelief involved, obviously, right? But I love the fact that they're using slings and stones and bows and arrows against, you know, ATSTs and stormtroopers and blaster rifles and these biker scouts and speeder bikes and enormous armies. I love. I I just love that contrast. It really makes for a lot of fun, especially watching it as a kid before we're overly critical of everything. It just felt cool. And of course, all the booby traps, all the log booby traps that they're doing that they you know, they use the logs to smash the ATST's heads and the you know, the log booby trap on the grounds where the ATST is tripping over it and the trip wires for the speeder bikes. It's cool. You know? And I mean what cool what cooler of an image can you get than an Ewok popping up with a stormtrooper helmet and a blaster rifle? It's so fun.
0: It's it's really cool. You yeah, know, I always like loved a, it. It's like a guerrilla conflict.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh what did you make of the Ewoks when you
0: first, well, as a kid? I liked them. I, I thought that they were—they never struck me as anything. It was only the internet that ruined a lot of this shit for me, right? Or tried to ruin it. Right. The Ewoks were just a, a race of primitive creatures. Like, why wouldn't there be a race of more primitive, more quaint creatures? I understand that it's very transparent in its marketing and its merchandising. Sure, it I definitely get that. is. Yeah. But so too is everything else. What do you right. think, Salacious Crumb wasn't a fucking toy before it was a character? Are you right, kidding exactly. me? Jabba's Palace is full of... Nobody's, you know that they made to merchandise There's absolutely. no absolutely so i think people are being a little too cynical about that and this idea that it would have been better if it was the if it was kashik the Wookiee planet or kashik is silly to me too because that would have changed the whole dynamic of the fight that seems like a much fairer fight yes now the the empire did enslave and fuck kashik in the star wars lore before the events of the movie that's part of chewbacca's backstory yeah And we see that kind of play out in solo but they are menacing and gigantic creatures that could easily rip the head off of these stormtroopers and these biker right. scouts.
1: Plus they have some kind of technology. Right. They have bowcasters and have and, casters yeah, and they know and how to ships. fly ships.
0: And So it's just, I think that it was the right choice because I think it would have changed the whole power dynamic. It wouldn't have made it seem like such an overwhelming victory if yeah. it was the, the Wookiees helping them. Now, it would have been super cool to see another Wookiee at some point, but we just didn't. And right. That's okay.
1: That's okay. Yeah. We didn't yeah. see another
0: hut. We didn't see... Exactly. We only saw one other Twi'lek. Right. We didn't see another Rodian other than Greedo. We didn't see... You know, it's like it, you don't Absolutely. have to see everything. Right. I don't even know why I know these races off the top of my head. Very There's a nice lot of stuff. embedded nerd shit oh, in my God. head. Oh,
1: God. Keep it there. You got to keep it there. It's, I don't. Have, it's, like, it's
0: like when you speak in a foreign language. You got to exercise it every once in a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Which we do. I did mention you mentioned the speeder bikes, which are rad. Oh, so good. I will say that my favorite Imperial class are the Biker Scouts.
1: Oh, I think a lot of people feel this they way. They are so
0: cool, dude. If I... I used to fantasize, and I think I might still do it when I have more space to store shit. They used to, in like Star Wars Insider and stuff, used to sell like the Stormtrooper outfits and the Imperial Guard outfits and stuff. And they're like a couple of thousand dollars. Yeah. I'd buy a biker scout outfit in two seconds.
1: Oh, they're so cool. How cool of a Halloween
0: costume would that be? Like, I want the helmet and the blaster on the head. Yeah, they got the cool blaster.
1: They got their own blaster. They're so cool.
0: And I like how, you know, you read about how they filmed it. Like using like all sorts of tricks to make it seem like they were fucking flying you know, through that. the forest, but they're really not barely moving at all. It's really yeah. – it's very, very cool.
1: It's so cool. I remember seeing the making of that stuff as a kid and, and being fascinated by it. And I'm still fascinated with how they did that to make it look like it was like 120 miles an hour, but they were really moving like five miles an hour. And then they sped the film up and did a variety of techniques. It's so cool. There's so much to be said for those practical film effects and, and how much they hold up. It's not like you watch Return of the Jedi and things are perfect. But they do hold up, you know, they they largely hold up, you know, and that's pretty fascinating. What about going back to Dagobah yeah.
0: and seeing Yoda again? Did you expect to see Yoda again? And did you, I was surprised w- the first time I heard that Yoda wasn't originally in the movie some time ago. I was surprised by that because I felt like it was obvious that Yoda would be in this movie. Yeah, me too. That he had to go back to Dagobah. I understand, again, that it's the plot device to ensure people know that Vader's not lying about being Luke's father, but... I thought just generally like he had unresolved business there. Were you were you pleased that he went back to Dagobah? Yeah,
1: I couldn't even see it another way. I couldn't even see if they, like you said, I couldn't, uh, it wouldn't make sense if Yoda wasn't in the movie. It would have felt ve- like a very open-ended thing that they ignored if we didn't see Yoda. And I like the way they close it with him passing away. I mean, it feels, it feels appropriate, you know, and you have the whole scene in there, which I guess is a little bit of exposition, but it still works with Ben, you know, Force Ghost Ben coming and explaining everything to Luke. You know, as Luke is getting upset, like, why did you lie to me? Type thing. I think the Yoda scene's necessary. It's also pretty heartbreaking, you know, the exchange between Luke and I like, I also like, and Yoda, but I also like the fact that Luke honored his promise to go back because as we remember, he never finishes his training and he promises to come back and he does, you know, and I think that sort of cements part of Luke's character as well, which I think is really important. You're a little bit of a of a different mindset with Luke, but I'm very inherently like Luke is the ultimate you know, the ultimate good guy and he's gonna do what he's he's gonna honor his promises and do whatever it takes for his friends type of thing. And I think that sort of cements his character.
0: I do wanna clarify that I like Luke as the good guy, I like Luke as the core decent protagonist or kind of the conduit by which we experience the movie, which really he really is. He is, yeah. We all wanna be Han. I think in our own way, but Han is not really central to what's going on. The force really is a main character in its own way. And obviously in episode one, they ruined that by making it something that's in their blood instead of a religion, which is unthinkable. <laughs> very odd. Cause the force is a religion and like something that you manipulate and believe in and pray to and all that kind of stuff is a ma- an amazing idea. And I don't know what they were thinking with I that. I don't know.
1: I'm just assuming when you get very rich, even when you're creative and you create all these awesome things, you just lose it. I, I, what else could it be?
0: It's shocking to me that, and I know Red Letter Media really goes into this, and I think they're right that, in their own comedic way, but that where was why wouldn't anyone just tell him? No, just say it. The, again, I've said it before on our shows, but that shot of Rick McCallum, I think, <laughs> yeah, after they the first screening of Episode One is like incredible. Like the faces, everyone's like, what is this you know like and no one would say anything it's it's it's
1: mad everyone's
0: responsible it's not just george lucas's fault like they it's, are. it's when you're working with that much money and stuff it, it's hard to see for the forest for the trees i've almost become more forgiving of lucas over time you almost have to blame the people around them to be like, I've been in a lot of creative processes and so have you. Yeah. It's not a one-man operation. Like absolutely people, not. as I Just as a good example, like I've written things, a thousand words on whatever, where there's a glaring grammatical or spelling error in it, like the most obvious thing in the world and I can read it 15 times and not see it. You need someone else to see it. You're too close to it. You need another pair of it. eyes, absolutely. And people were f- afraid of them. Absolutely. And it was a big mistake. That was... I can forgive most of the prequels and what they do because they do tell a necessary story. I have no problem with the story itself. Even the components of the story people make fun of with, like, the really complicated trade embargoes in the Federation. I have no problem with that. It's not that difficult to understand. Right. But I do have a problem with what they did to the Force because they removed the mysticism involved in it. Yeah. And I say that only because I, in the mystical elements of the Force were that, were that to be consistent moving into Episode 7 and Episode 8, it would have been interesting that to make Luke evil – because it literally cannot be avoided like the, the entire thing is, is like this is going to happen right to right right absolute power corrupts absolutely i and, you know what i mean and I totally understand and that. i would have loved that maybe he has a redeeming moment just like his father but he is his father i, I always like that idea i don't know i'm not clever enough to know how they wouldn't have how would have written it yeah but the coolest angle would have been for luke to be the bad guy like there's no doubt about that and i so know that it would have i know that it would have caused a meltdown probably with people
1: i don't know if it would I don't know. It seems like it would have ruined Luke Skywalker for you. It for me, it would have, yeah, would have. There, to me, there's got to be that sort of bedrock, that one. You know that I think that's just kind of inherently my stance on how I like to see fiction. I think it's not a really sentimentality. I think it's just you have to have that one cat, that one anchor, that one bedrock that's truly good. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you need to have the have that as well on the other side where you have something that's truly bad. I'm not sure about that, but I th- I do think you have to have that inherent good, and everything else is centered around that. But I, th- I do think you have to have that to make it to just give it everything credence and strength, you know. Or else it all- or else in a way you could say, well, there there really are no rules, and if there are no rules, then anything could happen, and then things start to feel a little unreal. I think you have to have those essential that sort of essential framework, and then you could build off of that. if sure. that makes sense.
0: So no, it makes perfect sense. I, I will say that regardless of them not going in that direction, that I was I was somewhat confident in my mind that they were going to do it. I don't know why. And <laughs> we instead we got a real emo bastardized Luke that doesn't care about anything. That's throwing his lightsaber away. That's drinking this weird blue breast milk and seems totally disengaged with everything. It's just what they did to Luke was exponentially worse than my idea. I'll say, I they will say him. that. And
1: then, they, and then they kill him without even any hope for seeing more of him there's and like no
0: one left that i care about oh man there's just you know there's the leia is still alive in the movie it's
1: so odd it's just leia
0: and it's also odd because they had the opportunity to kill her in the other movie like and they just once she got popped into space like just kill her it's harry fisher's dead dude
1: it's crazy now i've i'm, I'm gonna forget to ask you this. ryan That's johnson annoys the shit out of me he, he really he, does i'm sorry he, it's complete he he has a real disregard for everything i think you know, which is which doesn't work. I think there, ha- yeah, it has to be a little reverent. I mean, it doesn't have to be. But for us, it does. You know, I, I don't want to forget to mention this to you. What do you think of Lando confirming that Lando's coming back for episode nine?
0: I think it's cool. But again, this is the big galaxy, small galaxy problem we talked about many times. We talked about this on our solo review. We talked about it in the Last Jedi review. We talked about yeah. it in the Empire Strikes Back knockback episode, the very first episode of the show shoving more and more people into this story that you're familiar with makes the galaxy seem small and that's a problem for me it's not only this everlasting conflict between the Republic or the Rebellion depending on the area you're talking about and the Empire or the First Order or whatever depending on the area you're talking about it's that all of the same people are involved in it there are probably trillions and trillions and trillions of beings in this galaxy and the stakes are way higher than these same four planets and these same seven people and these same two droids and the same protagonists and the same antagonists it seems it makes it seem small and i think it's good to seem small sometimes i think the interstitial movies make star wars seem small but in a good way because they're filling in holes like I, you were talking about watching the jabba's palace scene from jedi i watched the vader boarding the ship scene from rogue one probably once a week
1: oh it's so good
0: when he shoves the guy to the ceiling but then puts his hand forward and grabs the guns out of the guy's hands and they just all their guns fly forward <laughs> there's it's like so cool and and that's Small in a good way because it's just filling in a little bit of the piece of the pie that we didn't really ever see. I feel like Rogue One is a better Star Wars movie than A New Hope, and I feel like Rogue One is up there with Empire and Jedi and the pantheon of, of amazing Star Wars movies. The only There are three amazing Star Wars movies, and it's those three from my perspective. Yeah. And Solo obviously felt small and had Lando in it because that's kind of his origin story. We already knew that they knew each other, they, so that, yeah. that was expected.
1: To show that makes sense.
0: But it's like now... I like Billy Dee Williams a lot, and I like Lando's character a great deal. Yeah, me too. But it, I also feel like it's going to be weird because Han's dead. So there's a little bit of a sadness there for me too. I'm like, you got to just I, you're you're introducing characters that have no depth. Like I don't really understand why she care about Finn. Yeah, I don't understand why she care about Poe. I don't understand why she care about. Ray, I don't get Kylo Ren again I still don't know what the hell Snoke was or why that was I I do not understand what that character was that's probably I'm not even I'm not even being facetious
1: no I know you I know you're not I I think the Snoke thing is maybe the worst thing
0: I have no idea what I if you removed all of the Snoke
1: elements from the movie I don't know what changes yeah and what what yeah what what would yeah there's not I mean the only thing you could say is who Kylo was serving but who cares though if you're not gonna
0: carry it through it it just doesn't make any sense it's like it's like as if you saw the emperor in empire as we do we see him in the in the orb and vader's kind of like praying to him or whatever and talking to him but then you never see him again (laughs) but then he's not in jedi at all it's so strange. it's like
1: what it's very strange
0: but since we're talking about emperor palpatine what did you think about finally seeing him in the flesh and Uh, and ian mcdermott i think his presence in the movie is very underrated oh i think he does an amazing job as the emperor He's and so good as is again one of the only elements in the prequels that makes sense to me too. Yeah,
1: and we don't we don't we don't talk about that enough. He's so good even in the prequels. He's the ultimate shit. Like he's the ultimate evil son of a bitch. You know, and he he's like so he's so good in Return of the Jedi. He's so menacing. You know, he's condescending. You know, he he he's just the ultimate power in the universe, and he knows it. And he acts like it. You know, he he's just he's completely arrogant. He's condescending. He's, ma- he's making fun of Luke. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, because he knows that or he thinks he feels that there's really no other way except for his way and that he's going to seize victory and that's going to be the end of it. He's so good. And you could see he's so he's presented as such an evil being that you could see Vader serving this guy. Makes sense. It all comes full circle. You're like, oh, so this is v- who Vader worships. Yeah. Get, I got it. I get it. You know. It's so cool. You know what I love about Jedi 2, though? For me, and to, I want to hear your stance on this too, Kyle. Vader's redemption starts, I feel like it starts as soon as he and Luke get together on Endor. As soon as they walk into that little board, I don't know if they're getting ready to board the ADAT to get to the shuttle or whatever it is. As soon as they're together and talking, you could see the redemption is starting. You know, you could see he turns away and looks over the rail. He He turns his back. He's trying to sort of um, assert his dominance and assert his power over Luke, but you could see little lapses in it if you really watch it. In the dialogue and in his body language, and I love that. I always loved that. Because it really sort of starts that path down to, you know, after they fight and after he saves Luke and as the you know, the death starts blowing up and Luke removing his helmet and everything, it all it all plays in so nice, I think. It all plays in so well, and it's, it's a very emotional ending. I still get emotional at that ending. You know, I still get very, I still get worked up a well, little bit.
0: Well, let's discuss that then. It's kind of a three way fight between the Emperor Vader and Luke. I guess it's hard to understand where you were at nine or ten years old, but were you expecting Vader to turn on the Emperor? I mean, no. It's hard for me to to go into that not knowing what happens. It must have been quite tantalizing watching that movie, not knowing what will happen in it.
1: Yeah. Can you? I wish I could go back. You always wish you could go back, right? And just not know yet.
0: It's a very Black Mirror-ish thing to say, but I bet you that there will be technology in the future that will let you erase things from your brain, and then and Can the Black imagine? Mirror and the Black Mirror thing will be like that: people are erasing things they shouldn't be erasing from their brains, or something. That's like that.
1: interesting. You I know. think you got a little sci-fi story there, Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But yeah,
0: it's always it's always like the the fantasy of seeing Seinfeld for the first time or something
1: like that. Right, exactly. Just witnessing the joy of something for the first time.
0: But you see that you see new force powers that you've never seen before. You see force choke and. And all, you know, and force push and all that kind of stuff. You see the Emperor using this, these almost these fierce lightning the bolts. lightning, and, and yeah. And then Vader just throws him.
1: It's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't think I was expecting that. I think as a kid, you're probably expecting Luke to beat both of them, right? That's what you're I mean, initially thinking because your thoughts are so simple and sort of one-sided at that point, at that age, at my age, when the movie came out. So for, yeah, for Vader to do what he did after, you know, by the way, a brutal fight between Luke and Vader. You know, where um,
0: where Vader's not fighting Luke with one hand anymore.
1: No, no. And Luke is extre- Luke is extremely angry. It sort of just comes full circle. And c- what happens in the Empire sort of happens to Vader now, you know, but Luke beats him down, basically. Then the Emperor beats Luke down and then Vader has a little respite and and kills the Emperor. Which is, I think I was really unexpected. And the, the great part is, you'll be happy to know, you guys, that it wasn't spoiled for me. Like Empire was.
0: <laughs> what about the emotional scene you were saying? The kind of emotion you, f- like when Luke is kind of cradling Vader. Removing and, his helmet. Yeah. And,
1: you know, he. I think that whole thing about you were right. You know, and tell your sister you were right. You know, I think what's emotional about it is how tragic it is. If you trace it back to everything that happens in the movie from when we first see Vader, all the murdering, you know, the chasing, the fighting, the constant, the constant violence, the constant bloodshed, you know, everything that happens all, and all the mistakes that we know Vader has made up to that point for it to for him to redeem himself only basically on his on his dying last couple of dying breaths is very tragic. You know, that's a very tragic thing. It's almost more tragic than if he didn't redeem himself, you know, because it's like, what was all this for then? How tragic is that? Now your son's cradling you in his arms as you're dying and, you know, he can enjoy two minutes with you as a good guy, basically. When you had that inside you all all the time.
0: It is very know? sad. It is a sad note. And then they end uh, with the celebration on, on Endor with the Ewoks. We got a bunch of questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas. I can't wait to hear these, you guys, for real. That I feel like would be a great way to round out our episode on Return of the Jedi. Remember, again, you can support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash stand for early access to the show, ad free access to the show, and the ability to vote on topics, and the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, etc. that we read on the air. Lola's very excited about it. I know, Lola, we, Lola's in the room. Do you have a question? <laughs> She's so annoying. Do you have a comment? God bless you, Lola. <laughs> we give you way too much attention. Tyler Oldfield says, do you guys wish the movie kept the more dark tone that was in Empire or did the b- prefer the balance of fun Ewoks, for instance, and grim Luke's journey? I've always wanted Star Wars to be a bit more grim. So Return of the Jedi has great moments for me, but isn't my favorite out of the OG trilogy. Also, I think Rogue One came as close as Disney will let them in terms of being dark. Mm. What do you make of that? We've talked a little bit about this, but there is definitely there's a tonal dissonance between the two movies for sure. But I actually think that that plays into to any arc. This is a three. This is a three-part arc, and the middle is always where the risks, where everything's getting fucked up, and and the risks are created to be resolved in the third act.
1: So that's a wonderful point.
0: I'm not bothered that by that personally. I think no. there are a few tonal problems in the movie, but nothing that can't be worked out.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It's a three-act play. There's going to be a certain. There's going to be a certain direction that it takes. But I like the fact that there's a combination of light and dark elements in the movie. I think that makes it. Very successful. And again, I think that's what makes it fun. For me, I'll, t- I'll break it down for you for the first, for the original Star Wars trilogy. When I'm feeling ultimately the most nostalgic and I want to go the furthest back, back to the beginning, and I want to see some amazing Vader because I think Vader is so awesome in New Hope, and I want to see some Obi Wan, I go to New Hope. When I want to be dark and brooding and see that sort of wonderful. You know, that wonderful Star Wars at its darkest, which we all love Empire so much for, I go to Empire. But when I want a a really joyful viewing experience that feels like a little bit of the best of both worlds, I go to Jedi. And I think that's why Jedi, I won't say Jedi is my favorite. I think it goes between Empire and Jedi for me, depending on what day you ask me. And I think that's what makes Jedi so special to me is the combination of elements. I look at it this way, the light elements and the Ewoks and the quote-unquote brighter spots that contrast makes the darker stuff even darker. And there are dark elements in, in Jedi. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Luke and Jabba's palace or the Emperor stuff, you know, the battle at the end, I think, you know, and I think we can't understate the, the space battle in Jedi holds up so well. The, go, the space battle in Jedi is gorgeous. Hold that thought. Okay.
0: Blair Sutton says, how great is that final space battle and ah, Death Star run, not to mention the score. So good. In, into the Trap, etc., Plus another return for our boy, Wedge Antilles. Oh, kind my how, guy. How difficult must it have been to compile the layered footage of all of the ships and interactions for that scene and edit them into a reasonably fluid final sequence? I maintain this was the most impressive space battle on film, at least until Rogue One's ending.
1: I agree. Very well said.
0: I know a lot of people talk about the three-way battle or like kind of the layered battle at the end, but yeah. I feel like the space battle is often overlooked compared to what was going on in Endor and what was going on in the Death Star, and probably reasonably so, but... There is something about that. And Wedge Antilles is an amazing character. You know, Dagon, it goes to the point we're saying about about George's either incompetence or willingness to ruin a great character like Boba Fett. But he must have known that Wedge was this weird tether for everyone. Like, Wedge is just in the movies and in actually pivotal scenes, but is never really referenced or mentioned outside of those scenes. No, not really. And so it shows like a different side of that, of what we were talking about, where he clearly did understand... That there was some continuity, that some of the pilots were the same. It's the same thing with with Piet in Empire and Jedi. Very similar thing. Where they do bring these characters back. It shows a little something different about Lucas. It could have been a totally different smorgasbord of pilots in every movie, and it probably would have been fine, but Wedge, for some reason, is like this calling card. He keeps surviving these rebel fights and shows his talent and becomes a beloved character.
1: Yeah, and he's obviously purposely threaded through... I, I don't know if it speaks to George Lucas's. I know George Lucas is a big fan of, you know, aircraft and especially World War II aircraft and flying and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if, it's a sur- if Wedge kind of operates as a surrogate for that. But again, that could be, like you said, that could be any X-Wing pilot. I always thought of him as the Boba Fett of the good guys. And I like that the mystique was preserved. You know, I, I could talk about Wedge for hours. I'm a huge Wedge fan, as you know, but... I I kind of like the fact that Dennis Lawson didn't reprise his role as Wedge for episode seven, although he was asked to come back. I would have loved to seen him come back, but again, I didn't know that he was asked to come back. He I wonder, was. I wonder he why said, he turned it down. And he said no. He was. He was just like always. Like I think he, he Dennis Lawson was a big, you know, also the uncle of Ewan McGregor in real life, but he's a famous British stage actor. And I think he always saw – I think he was always a little resentful that that's what he was famous for because he's, like, this really talented British stage actor. But he seemed – after the initial thing of turning down Episode 17 and basically saying that Star Wars is shit, he was very apologetic about that. And I think he jumped back on, like, the con circuit and stuff like that and sort of, I think, felt bad about it. I don't know if that means we're going to see him again, but I kind of like that Wedge's. Mystique is preserved. Of course, he goes on to be explored in the novels, and he's actually in Aftermath, which is the precursor to episode seven. But um, I like the fact that there's still some Mystique left around Wedge. I always took great joy in Wedge. I love that the best fighter pilot character isn't even like a main character.
0: It's interesting in the sense that they can't really conceivably integrate him back into the movies now because... It's too late. It, it's Well, because there are almost none of them left. And it would have been really cool if he was one of the ones that survived.
1: I would have liked that actually
0: that would have been pretty if he was like kind of the elder not the elder statesman literally like a politician but like the the old roguish graying pilot that still is somehow around with like seven or eight of the other guys that survived and he's literally been to every one of these major marquee battles he was at the battle of the first death star he was at the battle of hoth he was at the battle of the second death star yeah yeah he, yeah and, and, and if they integrated him in the episode seven he was at the battle of whatever the fuck that device was and then he was at this penultimate battle where almost all of them are wiped out, and he survives through all of it. It kind of is contrary to what I was saying about the universe being small. But since this is a continuation of the rebellion, why wouldn't your marquee pilot?
1: Why wouldn't he be there? Be there? Yeah, and you it's know kind what? of a little
0: disappointing. I wonder if he does regret removing himself from that for no yeah, reason. Yeah,
1: you know what? You make a good point, Kyle. And maybe and maybe episode seven could have used that continuity too. It might have helped actually. I'd like to see him
0: graying an older Wedge would I think would have been interesting. Yeah,
1: that would, kind of would have been cool.
0: Even if he was like just uh, not flying.
1: Or yeah. was too old to fly Yeah, or some kind of commander or yep. he was on one of the, the cruisers or something. Or
0: he was a guy that insisted on being in the trenches and, like, never got promoted and was still literally gold leader or whatever the hell he was. Yeah,
1: that would be cool, too. Ah, yeah, you're right about that.
0: Jeshua Anderson says, Did no one catch that the Ewoks almost assuredly ate the stormtroopers, whom helmets they used for drums, at the end of the movie? What do you mean ate them? I don't know that I ever caught that. I thought that they just killed them and took their body armor. Yeah,
1: it, that's it? That's the end of the message?
0: Yeah. Did no one catch that the Ewoks almost assuredly ate the stormtroopers whose helmets they use for drums at the end of the movie?
1: I don't... I think the Ewoks are vegetarians. They like crackers. I would like
0: to think that they ate the stormtroopers, but I don't I don't see any evidence of that. <laughs> Adam Nix... Oh, I'm sorry, it's Adam Nix. You reminded me of this. Adam Nix. It's spelled N-I-K-S-C-H, though, so I'm sorry that I'm saying it as we speak. Oh, here. yeah. Hey, Adam. 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 Do you think the movie could have been better than even Empire if they'd gone with more of the ideas from the original script? We talked a little bit about this, but namely having a more epic space battle without a second Death Star going to Kashyyyk instead of Endor and Han dying at the end of the movie rather than The Force Awakens. I've always been curious about how we'd feel if they'd gone this route instead. We did this we did touch on a lot of this, Adam, in the beginning, but I just don't understand what people's problems with this movie like are. Yeah. Other than it's always about the ewoks. It's always about And they're the ewoks. not even really important at all. No. And it's kind of an aspirational thing. The rebel the rebellion will use whatever they can and whoever they can to fight this this formidable force. It does make the empire look completely fucking incompetent.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. And heartless. These things are adorable. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you, like you said earlier, like you intimated earlier, I mean, think talk about an underdog battle. I mean, the the rebellion, the key members of the rebellion are teaming up with these teddy bears and they have rocks and wooden arrows.
0: It's cool as hell. and I, It's fun. I, so you don't have to ground things in in as much reality as I think people think. And actually, it ties into this next question, Dagan, because okay. Straw Hat Ninja says, does the inclusion of the Ewoks keep Return of the Jedi from being the best Star Wars film? Personally, I think the first half of Return of the Jedi would make it the best movie in the series. You would made kind of a similar argument. Definitely. However, I didn't enjoy the second half as much, partly because I don't really like the Ewoks. And this leads me to saying I think The Empire Strikes Back is the best movie in the series. I just I don't get the hang up.
1: I don't. I don't I don't understand it. I mean, I, it could be a generational thing. I saw this movie when I was very young and fell in love with it, of course, as the third Star Wars movie, film. So maybe that plays into it. But you're also 11 years younger than me and feel very similar about the movie as I do. So we're certainly not from the same generation you and I, Kyle. So I don't know. I don't. It, the Ewoks just never bothered me, and if it was going to bother me now, in retrospect, it would have already bothered me. It just, it just, it seems to work for me just fine. You know, I can't imagine it any other way. Actually, to be honest,
0: I just don't think Empire is that much better than Return of the Jedi. I don't
1: think it's that much better either. I think they're very different films. I think I get different things from them. I will say that Jedi is a more it's a it's a more pleasurable viewing experience. It's a lighter view viewer experience, obviously. And yeah, I just derive great happiness from Jedi. You know, I think it's I think it, it's oftentimes my favorite. Richard Hernandez asks.
0: If you had to construct your own lightsaber, what model and color would you choose? Mm. I don't know enough about the, the current EU to know what model I would choose. And, and color used to be based on your rank,
1: right? I don't know what color was based on.
0: Like, I thought that he was allowed to use a green saber because he was, like, a Jedi master now. Or at least that's what we ins- we assumed.
1: I don't know.
0: Back in the day. But I don't know. I always loved the... What would they call the... What would people call the Samuel Jackson lightsaber? The pimp
1: saber? Oh, uh, the, the purple one. The yeah. pimps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be kind of cool. Have we ever seen this? We've seen the double-sided lightsabers. We've seen the Inquisitor lightsaber, which is different. We've seen the all kinds of iterations of lightsabers, but... You know, it would be kinda neat. You know, we've seen the Kylo's with the hilt with the little uh lightsaber hilt. But maybe maybe two tone. Maybe go half blue and half green. You know, I don't know how we could do it.
0: How about if there was a gay Jedi and it was like oh it was like the rainbow?
1: <laughs> Why not go for the rainbow? No, well, Why is that have to be gay? Maybe he's just maybe he's just happy. Oh, maybe you want
0: to celebrate, you know, gay pride. All right. No big sure. deal. No, that's fine. No big deal.
1: I like the blue and I like the green. I like the fact of fighting with two lightsabers, but I think there's more potential for a lightsaber, you know, different shapes, maybe one that goes up and then the last third of it goes out to the side at like a 45 degree angle. We got to think outside the box guys Now work with me here. ILM, If you're listening, you could have this stuff for a fee, small fee, but how about a lightsaber that's actually flat and blade like rather than cylindrical. So it's more like a sword. You know what I'm saying? That'd be cool. Yeah. Think about it.
0: Yeah, because the only way... i mean, I don't know the there's—I'm sure very nerdy documentation about this, but it's that it's the cylindrical way that the beam comes out that makes gives it its shape. I assume so I you can funnel so. it into any right shape that you would want. Right. I right. still think Maul's lightsaber is the coolest. Maul's is cool, but I would want a blue light, like a blue standard lightsaber.
1: How about a cloud Strife one? Just gigantic. Yes, <laughs> and
0: spiky hair. Let's think outside the box here. David Mann says, like many others, I was one of those who were disappointed in the direction that they took Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi. I wanted to see a Force user who realized he needed a balance of the Force and that it wasn't as simple as a good side and a bad side. And I based this off of the throne room scene in Return of the Jedi. Luke only beat Vader because he gave in to his feelings and his anger made him powerful. Yes. I felt like this was super important and set up such a great potential for what we could learn about the Force. Do you guys agree? What do you think about the Force now since Disney took over? How would you retcon the things you didn't like about Luke in The Last Jedi? Can the character be saved? It's interesting to tie that into The Return of the Jedi. I, I got to be honest. I never thought about the parallels between The End of Jedi and Luke's very bizarre behavior in, in The Last Jedi. We can't say Jedi anymore. Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi. Are now yeah. Fu- that ruined that. So
1: Okay. So talk to me about this.
0: I don't know that I draw the provenance of Luke's issues in The Last Jedi to his character in Return of the Jedi. I think that's a totally valid parallel worth contemplating. I really think it's a result of people not understanding who Luke is. If you're going to make Luke good, then make it and you're going to make him strong and you're going to make him do the right thing, then make him do that. I almost feel, you know, it's funny Dagan, because the more I talk about it even though I'm hitting the same notes. Yeah. They really let me down with Luke because I, I'll just reiterate what I said earlier. It would have been... My idea would have been 10 times cooler and it wouldn't have even ruined the character as much as they ruined him. They almost made him into a bitch. Blase and... He's almost like... it comes off as like a nihilist.
1: Yeah. I see I, that And that's not point. him. No. I, I wouldn't agree.
0: even. I wouldn't even draw that to Jedi. I would actually draw that to A New Hope. If, if there's one thing you can say about Luke in A New Hope, it's that he cares. Yes. He wants to be with like Biggs. He wants to get off the planet. He doesn't want to work on a moisture farm anymore. He... He wants to get out of there. He wants to be with Obi-Wan. He wants to go on this adventure. He, he knows yeah. he's
1: destined for bigger things. It's But it's about that
0: want. He yes. wants this. He wants this. He wants this. And then in Empire, he shows maybe callousness and maybe stupidity, but also an incredible amount of bravery by even thinking he can go at Vader, yes. who again swats him down like a fly without even trying. And now in The Last Jedi, he obviously shows this extraordinary projection power that we've never really seen in all of this, but... The scene that bothers me the most in that movie is when he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. It's so weird, man. It's
1: very unexpected. Be-
0: you, you're the same guy that underestimated the Force so much that Yoda had to get your X-Wing out of the bog for you because you couldn't do it yourself. And now you're throwing away your lightsaber as if it means nothing, as if your provenance and this connection to these characters and this, this your adventure to this point means nothing to you. I don't... I really don't understand what the hell is going on in that movie.
1: Yeah. I Well, you know what, Kyle? I think from my take on that is that I think I think a lot of this, you're absolutely correct. What ha- what, where, I, where I think it goes wrong, where I think they go wrong with Luke in episode eight, is the fact that he gave up. Now, they're saying, from my perspective, they're saying the fact that he gave up because of what happens, what they talk about happening a little earlier in the film with what happens with Kylo Ren and how that Luke saw such darkness in him that he was actually considering ass- assassinating him, essentially, killing him in his sleep. And everything that transpires because Kylo catches him in the act, doing that, and, and these series of events that finally push Luke over the edge to where he can't take it anymore and he runs from it. I think what went wrong, it, where, you know, where you lost your association with the character, was the fact that, and that where you became lost... From the writer's sake, from the writer's standpoint, was that Luke was always driven by his love for his friends and wanting to be with his friends. From the Bigs, from the early on with Bigs, all the way through leaving Dagobah to go rescue his friends in Cloud City and challenge Vader, it was all about the love for his friends. And when he turned away from all those things that happened with Kylo, and Kylo destroyed his academy, his training academy, and everything like that, and he turns away. That's where you lost the thread of who Luke Skywalker was. And from that point, you could just do anything because you already broke it as far as I'm concerned. That's where you broke it. Luke should have never been somewhere. I I mean, it sets up a dramatic story where we have to find Luke Skywalker. He's He's our only hope. But he should have never left his friends. That's exactly where he went wrong. He would have never done that. So as far as I'm concerned.
0: Right. I remember sitting at a diner on Long Island with you and dad and our nephews. And we were talking about the, this is before episode seven came out. It was in 2015. And we were talking about how the we the one thing we knew was true was that Luke Skywalker is missing. It's not that he disappeared. Right.
1: He didn't. Right, right, right.
0: It was like, it was a very tantalizing thing where like Luke's gone. No one knows where Luke is. And, or like he, maybe he was kidnapped or f- called away by Completely some clarion open-ended. call. Right, right, right. And it's a, it's different than what ended up happening. Yes.
1: It's open-ended. It's
0: cowardly. <laughs> And it doesn't really make any sense. I just don't understand these new movies and their lack of reverence for sanity yeah. in terms of the way that they treat these, these various characters. And it bothers me. Like it actually bothers me the more I think about it and the more distance I get from these movies from episode 7 and 8 and specifically 8. Where there's just such a separation. And when I read people's support of these movies, I never get offended when someone likes something I don't. It really doesn't make me lose any sleep. But no. I am a little puzzled by the positivity around episode eight because I saw it and don't get it. And I could understand how a person could or couldn't like seven. So
1: I know people hate seven so much that I haven't even seen eight. That's pretty amazing. You know, like just don't, just like gave up. You know, just like I can't do the same thing. <laughs> you know that's interesting it that is interesting you yeah. know yeah but but you're right I think and I think it comes from really just you can't these younger filmmakers and I'm not saying this is their stance but it seems some sometimes to be their stances like you can't just come in and totally disregard the rules quote unquote you have to start by honoring what's come before and building off that challenge yourself to be creative by first working with a set of rules that's established and that you know has already been established. You can't just come in and do whatever the hell you want. That's not how it works. This isn't your science fiction story that you're writing in a high, in high school class. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And challenge Definitely. yourself to be more creative that way. You're going to it's a, you could still be creative. It's just going to be more challenging, but you're a creative person. You got this job. You're writing a Star Wars movie. Like you're obviously talented. <laughs> so it's like it's 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 maddening. It's maddening,
0: man. It, I mean, we can go on and on about it. I, I don't want to make this about too much about that, but the thing that really taught me that they just It's just throwaway garbage. It's becoming that is with with Phasma. Why is this character in this movie? You just literally killed her. Yeah. Or so it seems. Yeah. And she had played no role in this movie, like of relevance at all. It's just another toy to to release. I'm starting to feel the same way about Finn. I have no idea what the fuck the point of Finn is. I know. None. The turncoat stormtrooper. That's a pretty
1: fucking cool thing. I don't know how you messed that up. They started with a cool thing there. They really did. And like the, 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 the stormtrooper
0: that has a conscience. That's yeah. pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful.
0: I don't understand what Kathleen Kennedy's doing and I do not understand. And, and and the rumors about her recently in the last few weeks at the time we were recording this is that they like want her out. What I was reading is that no one wants the job. Like no one that they want to have the job wants it. Right, right. Like right. the shepherd, basically. Right. I don't really blame them. But I really do say this and I know that this is an insane thing to really say in the, at the end of the day. Yeah.
1: Can't be that hard. I don't think so. Kyle, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not that hard. It's not. You either know it or you don't. You either inherently know these things or you don't. It's like, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I could do that job. I'm, I'm going be, to be perfectly honest with you. I know it comes with a high paycheck and a very high pressure. And you're working under Bob Iger and is, you know, working for the biggest media company in the world in Disney. But you could do it. You just have to know it. You either know it or you don't know it. It's like it's it doesn't seem hard to me. It just doesn't. I'm sorry, it just doesn't.
0: It's it. it comes off sometimes like people talk about this, like it's the fucking Manhattan Project. It's not. and it's it's really not actually it's all not. the a lot of the hard work's done for you. You have the established kind of rules of the galaxy, or at least the rules that are that are supposed to be in play, and so the decisions being made are so separate from. Not only how I feel about it, from but from how a lot of Star Wars fans that I've always known would f- are feel the same exact way. Yeah, people that I don't talk to a lot or almost at all anymore still reach out to me when a Star Wars movie comes out because they know they remember me from middle school or high school or something yeah, like that when yeah. I was like all into it. My our old friend Eric, my my old friend Eric that grew up down the street from me, who's actually one of the guys who got me really into Star Wars. I hadn't heard, talked to him in several years, and he reached out to me. You know, when last Jedi came out, he's like, Well, what'd you think of that? I hadn't talked to him in years. Yeah, it's funny. You know, because people still connect me to that. And I'm like, there are people that know this stuff inherently, like you were saying. There just
1: is. You just do. You it's know? just
0: Rogue One was great and solo was great, but then they mistreated it and then they they fired the guys that wanted to do it the way they did it and all these kinds of things, and I just wish they would slow their role a little you bit.
1: You know, it's just like anything else. We don't we won't spend any more time on this, but it's it's either right or wrong in the storyboard of the script stage. You nip it in the bud at that point. If it actually makes it onto film and it's wrong, you have to redo it. You know what I mean? But get it down in the storyboards in the script. It's either right or it's not right. There's people that know this stuff. Get them there. You know what I mean? There's people that know if it works or if it doesn't work.
0: And to your point, I know Zahn, and we were just talking about Timothy Zahn earlier, who is still writing books and whatnot. But like, why wouldn't you contract these just guys get that like him in there? Like, where's he? And maybe he doesn't want to do it, but wouldn't you rather him write your script? Absolutely. Now, and Lawrence Kasdan is fine. And, and Lawrence Kasdan gave us great Star Wars movies. But you need to get new voices in there. And I, I think you people are like younger and different voices. I'm like, no, 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 no. Old and experienced voices. Have people in there that can treat this with a little more respect than being treated right now. It's disrespected, you know. Alex Ball wrote into us and said, after seeing the final installment, did you believe there would be another? So well, I can't speak that I wasn't even born yet. But when you saw Return of the Jedi, did you think that was the end?
1: No. I wanted to talk to you about this. We did think it was the end. We knew, we knew it was the end. George Lucas expressed that it was the end, you know. And but you were not puzzled by the there being no episode one, two, and three, or yeah, that the fact that it was four, five, and six, and the fact that yeah, but I just thought that's how he was going to do it. I just we just really thought that was going to be the it was over and done with, and that was it. I wanted to ask you this, Kyle, building on that. Do you think it should you know in retrospect now? And I'm not necessarily saying this because of the way that the the new trilogy is going. But do you think they should have ended it at Jedi, or do you think it was worth a shot of taking going to 7, 8, and 9?
0: I think it would have been awesome to do, go, keep going and, and to go backwards at that time, too. And I respect the shit out of the restraint. George Lucas could have cashed out at any time by this point. It's a good point. And I know that he wants to do other things, That I think he cashed out in a way you know, when he sold to Disney, in which he regrets Yeah, I think he definitely regrets it. And that ship has sailed. He's never going to be able to buy it back or anything like that. And I appreciate his philanthropy and his, you know, his... I would love to see him do one great film. Yeah. That's unassociated even to sci-fi. I have felt bad about George Lucas for several years now, or felt bad for him. We've all contributed to this environment that forced his hand, basically. That he felt like it was untenable for him to remain. And he really did shit the bed. It doesn't... The prequels are bad movies. And... On the other hand, a lot of people disagree. I did a fireside chat with this guy, this film student, who made a great case for why the prequels aren't bad movies. And I think it's a totally valid point of view. And I listened to him and disagreed with much of what he said, but agreed with some of what he said. And want to kind of look at those movies through a different lens. But I don't wonder about getting Episode 7 in 1988 or something like that. What I wonder about more is, what was his Episode 7? He had a script. He did. And I want to know what bled into it and what didn't. And I want to know what advice he gave that was ignored. And the other thing that I want to bring up is, to the point of Luke, Mark Hamill was overtly disgruntled with Episode Eight until someone clearly talked to him. So it's not like we're the only ones that feel this way. Mark Hamill was talking overt shit about Episode Eight and how he didn't understand Luke in that movie. And I feel like Mark Hamill has to have some agency over that character. Like, it is his, his character. It's his character. And so... This is a problem that I think is deeper than people realize, and I think Disney and Lucas are doing a nice job of keeping it under wraps as much as possible. I really do think that there's a bit of a schism behind the scenes there about what's going on with these, these movies. Yeah, and Mark Hamill was the kind of canary in the coal mine when you saw the things he was saying about. I, I wish I, I, wish I printed out the quotes about like how this isn't my. He said something like this isn't my Luke or something like that. He yeah, said he literally is.
1: said something. No, like he. That. That's exactly what he said.
0: And I'm, and I wonder if he would probably would have killed himself if he got my Luke, but from <laughs> like my idea for Luke, but that said a lot, and then he just shut up, probably because someone's like, you have a contract.
1: Yeah, they silenced him.
0: But I'm just saying that because I don't think that there's a, I don't think that this is a limited problem. I really don't. No,
1: no, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and
0: I really would not be surprised if after episode nine you don't see many Star Wars movies for a while.
1: I could see that. I could see that being a thing.
0: If they were smart, they would they would launch Ryan Johnson into the sun or something like that. <laughs> Paul Walt says it's a little mean. I don't know Ryan Johnson as a person. Just keep him away. Don't want you don't have to launch him into the sun. Just keep him away for those movies. Just I don't away from Star Wars. Dude, you, I mean, you you have to know the decision making is broken where after episode 8, episode 7 wasn't that divisive. Most people really liked episode 7 simply because it felt like a Star Wars movie for the first yeah, time. Which it, well
1: is, it did. Which is fine. And it's,
0: I I walked out of episode 7 thinking it was very good, and I still think it's a good movie. I'm not hating on episode 7 at all. It is a repeat of a new hope. I understand again why they had to do it. Very safe. I think JJ Abrams was very smart to do that. But after the reaction to Episode Eight, to be like, we're going to give Ryan Johnson three more movies. <laughs> it's like a big finger.
1: Well, they decide to give him three movies before the reaction. Oh, was, okay. So they, in all fairness, but but still, they were pretty confident that it was going to be people were going to love it.
0: I am so I, you know it's funny man because I went into Episode Seven skeptical, walked out, I was like, oh, and then I went into Rogue One excited, and I was my ex- my expectations were surpassed. Wow. And so and so I went into Episode Eight and I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, like you guys are building something really exciting here. Let's see what you guys got going. And then I just sat there and laughed.
1: Yeah. You were very disappointed. In I
0: it. yeah, I did. I think I got in touch with you immediately. Yeah. Because we I, I went with Ramon.
1: Yeah, I remember. And I
0: was like, oh. Yeah, it was. Jesus God. Oh man. I actually hate it even more than I did when I walked out of the theater. Now.
1: Yeah. It actually grew, it's actually grown worse. Me too, actually.
0: And you know what's made it worse for me, Dagan, is and I hate I hate having a negative tenor on our episodes. No, this that's is okay. To be I mean, it's I,
1: Star Wars. This is what it is, you know.
0: But. Ryan Johnson and, and kind of the people involved with it, their staunchness, that they were right, that they did nothing wrong, and like this this doubling and tripling and quadrupling down that they do about everything, and how people only hate the movie because there's an Asian woman in it, or they only hate the movie because That's there's ridiculous. a black guy in it. It's like, you know what? Go fuck yourselves. That's
1: crazy. You
0: know, first of all, one of the great heroes of the of the original trilogies is black.
1: That's insane Number, to say things like that. You know,
0: and the main protagonists of all of the movies are females.
1: Right, right. This has been a thing for many years. Diversity
0: in Star Wars is nothing new, and I'm not talking about the fake races in it. I'm talking about the humans that play. These sure, parts. of course. So that kind of really rubbed me the wrong way too. Where I'm like, you guys are really. If if I made a podcast series, and and a lot of people were like, this is fucking bad. I could be prideful and be like, "Well, there's some people that like it."
1: Right, right, right.
0: Or as my audience will tell you, I reverse engineer and go crazy when I get feedback to try to get things as perfect as possible.
1: Right, address things.
0: And if I was, if I was in an honored place to have an involvement at a high end, in a high level with Star Wars,
1: I would listen very carefully. Yeah, absolutely, you know, as it, if I have a monopoly on what's right or wrong in this universe. It shows a real lack of creativity too, and willing to be create and willingness to be creative, which is sad. Paul Waltz. Not to be confused I with the rapper, Paul. Paul Wall.
0: Oh. Says, I understand the goal was continuity between the prequels and the, and the original trilogy, but Hayden Christensen really had no business glowing blue and smiling alongside Alec Guinness and Yoda at the end of the film. Also, I miss Yubnub. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to share those thoughts and hear yours. I mentioned it earlier, so I didn't mean to spoil your question, Paul, but when I saw Hayden Christensen's name in the credits on IMDb for Return of the Jedi, I almost threw up in my mouth. That's crazy. And I miss Yub- Yubnub, too. But you know what, man? People are so mean to me on the internet, and I feel like I'm being mean about these people, and I don't mean it to be that way. If I were Hayden Christensen listening to this, I'd feel sad. Yeah, I really, it's hard for me to as a, to be like a 33 year old and act act like these words don't carry any of the weight. But we're so passionate about it. I don't know. I, I, I feel give, like we can't deliver. I can't. I feel like we can't deliver feedback on these things without coming off as somewhat mean spirited, and I don't mean to be that way.
1: No, I know. I know you, you. You definitely don't. It's not that. It's just the fact. Maybe we need to give a little more hate to the little blonde kid. What's his name? Oh Jesus! He gets. He shouldn't get a pass. It shouldn't be all for Hayden Christians. Yeah, what he is it? A name? bad job too. Um, I can't think of his I'm name. I'm going right. to Google on my
0: laptop right now. All I'm going to write in is little Anakin.
1: Little and see Anakin.
0: What, and I hit enter and see what happens.
1: Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. You don't get Google a pass never lets me down. Tar- well, you know what? we're disappointed with the fact that we got to see. We had the opportunity to see Anakin's rise and fall to the dark side, and we got to, the opportunity to see Anakin as a kid, and they fucked it up. It was terrible. And in, in a way, it's unforgivable. And, you know, that's just how it is. I
0: still don't understand why Disney, when they bought it, was like, we're erasing the prequels. I would have been like, yes! <laughs> like, the,
1: the ballsiest
0: move in the world would be like, we are rewriting and remaking those movies. That's our first order of business before we give you anything new is going back and fixing that. I think that would
1: have been really... Because, okay, let's say 30% of Star Wars fans like the prequels. And I'm not saying you're wrong if you like the prequels. You're totally entitled to like them. But most people don't. Most people feel like Colin and I. And I think it would have been really cool to do that. It's unprecedented, which With is practical neat.
0: effects and good acting, and not ruining the force by making it about middle Middleklorians. And it would have been a shame to lose some of the great performances by Ray Park and Ewan McGregor and all these guys. But yeah, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson, okay. obviously. But. <laughs> It needs to be fixed, yeah. And, and that was unfortunately it was the only opportunity that we ever had to get it fixed. Although I wouldn't be surprised, and this is the, this is the craziest thing of all. Dagan. do not be surprised if in our lifetime they remake
1: all of them. Oh, you know what? That's a really good point. They could. I mean, remakes are that's on the table. That's I'm saying like
0: 2040 or something like that. Like oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be. He, I would not be surprised.
1: No, I mean think about something like the Karate Kid. It's not going to be 2040. It's going to be sooner than that. So, well, it could be 2040, but no, it's, it's completely, uh, it's possible.
0: I'm looking forward to the nervous breakdown that gives me. <laughs> Caleb Hager talked about something we already talked about, but I do want to acknowledge your question. He says, the Emperor's Palace scenes are hands down my favorite in Star Wars. Here you have the last living Jedi Knight going against the two most evil beings in the galaxy. Such an iconic setting. Would love to hear your guys' take on it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the ending, you know, the end fight scene, great yeah. scene. Oh, it's e. wonderful. Performance obviously is it's great.
1: wonderful, and I love the way they draw out the drama and they draw out the, your your anticipation by you know kind of intercutting between what's going on on Endor, what's going on in the space battle, and what's going on with the Emperor. And also, we, Colin and I very humorously talked about the Death Star. Colin made some amazing points about it early in the show that it's actually quite comical that they're rebuilding the exact same thing. <laughs> But <laughs> hopefully, it, it has
0: the fatal flaw in it too,
1: which is hilarious to think about that way. I love thinking about it that way. But for me, it always made the space battle a cool set piece because you have this cool-looking thing there. You know, again, we've never seen this half-finished thing in space. It's always like this cool spaceship or this cool, you know, whatever it is, usually a spaceship, and nothing's ever incomplete. It's just like, oh, how did that get there? You know, including the first Death Star. So it was kind of cool to see. That half-constructed monstrosity floating up there against the space battle. I think that made the space battle a really special visual set piece. Yeah, the, the, the Emperor's Throne Room stuff is just... And let's not forget, shout-outs to the Emperor's Guard. They're freaking cool as and shit. And
0: we, we get a little taste of them actually doing something in Episode 8, which was cool. I guess, like, the, the continuation of that line or whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. Which was a cool scene. Because in the EU they have they have like vibroblades and I think some of them have lightsabers or something, or some weapons like crazy weapons under their ropes and are supposed to like throw maces and and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess not lightsabers. That wouldn't really make any sense. Shout out by the way to shuttle Tiderium, which is a really great vehicle in the in the Return of the Jedi. Beautiful,
1: one of my favorites.
0: Joey Malone says, I always remember watching Return of the Jedi and getting a little sad at the end when all of the characters gather for the final shot, thinking I'm not ready to be done with them yeah, and start the trilogy over too. again. Me too.
1: That's well said.
0: And finally, Isaac Sainova says, Growing up, I distinctly remember Jedi being my favorite of the Star Wars movies. As a young kid, it had both the mechs of the second Star Wars movies, the ATSDs, and the epic space battle of the first, plus an epic good versus clash, uh, evil clash rather, in the Emperor's throne room. I know now in geek culture that the movie is ranked as the least of the original Star Wars movies, but even years later, I still hold it as the as being the most entertaining of the three throughout my formative years. Oh,
1: I'm with you. On do
0: you that. both follow the common geek ranking of the three original trilogy movies, which is five, four, and six, or do you have your own personal ranking? I, I think they can buy, and I both agree that it's probably five, six, four. Right? Yeah. Yep. And I would go. Let's let's even go further than that. See if we can construct this as we as we kind of wrap up and go into the lightning round. I would say it's five. Four six. No, no, five. I'm sorry, five, Five, six. six, Rogue One, four. Oh, solo seven, one, eight,
1: two, three. Wow, you're ranking all of them? Mm. That was good, though. That was a good ranking. Mm. I'll give you this, Kyle. I'll say 5, 6, and oftentimes 5 and 6 are tied with me. But for the most part, I'll say 5, 6, for Rogue One, Solo, and I refuse to rank the rest of them. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. 7 and 8. Seven, 7 is tolerable to me. It's I like it more than when I initially saw it. Uh, they have a really weird trajectory with the new movies. Seven, I like more than I originally saw it, but I think they could have done a lot better. But I do understand the safety. You know, I I do understand doing it the way they did. I I fully understand that. Eight had a very Phantom Menace sort of trajectory for me. And the fact that I gave it like a 70% when I first saw it. I was relatively pleased with it. Gave it like a 70 out of 100. And it slipped like at least another 30% for me since I saw it. Very aggravated with it, because it's almost I almost had that whole similar experience of trying to make it better than it was inadvertently in my own head, trying to make it better than I thought it was, and then it's quickly soured on me and the prequel movies I just I can't be with those movies they're they're just I hate the prequel movies more than I've ever hated them, and I've only seen episode two and three once a piece. I will never watch those movies again.
0: I think I told you the story that episode two. Was on TV. I don't know why I was watching TV, but several months ago I was watching TV and it was in the beginning. It was on like USA and they was playing it and I watched the whole thing.
1: I remember you telling me And it's me this. worse than I remember it. It's
0: bad. It's, wor- it's It's literally worse than I thought it was.
1: Is that the worst one? Is that the one when Obi Wan's riding that dragon thing? That creature? I think so. Or is that the last
0: they, one? I think it might be the last one. They all kind of mix God, together for me. It sucks. I think three's worse. Three, by a lot of people think three is like
1: legit. Yeah. Because and that's I'm when like, they I don't understand That's when Obi Wan and Anakin battle, right? And right. Obi Wan, you know,
0: you have the viciously.
1: Now. That's when I when I, I remember seeing that, okay, that's too dark. Like that's too dark. Did it, did Obi Wan just cut off two both of his arms and one of his legs? <laughs> I was like, okay, that's too dark. Like I like all right, that's too that's too dark. No, that's not right. Like it's wrong. Why can't you get any of this right? You know, it's like, okay, is this dark enough? It's like, no, that's too dark. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> Did we just really <laughs> see that? It's like a, there's an attic and stub laying on the side of a <laughs> volcano flow right now. Is this happening? <laughs> so it's like you know, it's like a stump. <laughs> like, what is happening? This isn't right either. Like, I remember the sheer frustration of that. And I will. I won't. I won't watch them again. I won't. I two and three. I've only seen once. Phantom Menace. You know, I think I think Fantas, *Phantom Menace*. I was kind of charmed by the set pieces, like the Pad Race, and I own it also on DVD, so I, I've actually seen it. But my kids still haven't seen the prequels.
0: The mall fight at the end is awesome. Oh,
1: and the mall fight—I forget about Darth Maul too, which is kind of cool. That's another wasted opportunity, Darth Maul. But yeah, and again, we, they we don't kind of need were the bring it back in *Solo*, so that's true. <laughs> that was odd. <laughs> yeah,
0: I remember. I'll never forget. Like, I literally shrugged when that happened in the theater. <laughs> I was sitting next to the theater. And I remember being like, what? Is this, what is <laughs> like you could have literally said like, someone's going to appear on this hologram. Yeah. And it's going to surprise you. Who is it? And I'd be like, I could probably go through 50 characters before I ever got to Darth Maul. I'd be like, Mon Mothma.
1: It's too much. Is it Mon Mothma? Lobot. Yeah. Lobot. Ugnot. Oh. Akbar. <laughs> Greedo. Greedo. The bartender Hammerhead. from the can- cantina. <laughs> I eventually true. would have gotten them all. It's strange, isn't it? And then he
0: turns on his lightsaber. Like, <laughs>
1: I don't like, again, like you were talking about with the books, I don't like interconnecting the Star Wars universe with the other media things. I don't want it to be connected to an ebook or a frigging cartoon series or a novel. A movie, a film, ask any director worth its salt. A film should be able to stand on its own. It's not cute to make it like this multimedia property where everything hinges on everything else. That's not the way f- movies work. You know what I mean? Do the other things, but make them separate. You know what I mean? I, we shouldn't have, have to watch Clone Wars on Cartoon Network to understand the ending of Solo. It's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. Yeah, like, no one understood it's that. It's not okay. Stop doing it. I don't, think, any, I don't it. think
0: anyone understood the ending of that unless you're like really. I,
1: I just, like that movie. It's just that that yeah. was weird at the end. Solo ending.
0: went on too long. It was. I, I liked it a lot too, but it was about 15 minutes too long. and I could have I done without the whole Darth Maul thing. <laughs>
1: oh, it was so strange.
0: That was just weird. And you said it was Ray Park, right?
1: Yeah. Well, they said that's who it was. They said that's who they got.
0: It's like, all right. Well,
1: cool. I don't know. I don't know. Props to Ron Howard. That movie was a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah,
0: movie. he salvaged it. I mean, I was telling you this story. When we talked about it on the Fireside Chat about it, that he literally had like a week to figure out what they needed to, that's to do. That's insanity. Like he was given the script in the dailies and was like,
1: God bless him, man. He's no spring chicken. He's been around the block a few times. He's an older guy. That's a lot. That takes a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, I, I give I give him a lot of credit for what I, I would love to see the original cut, but or, like, what they were trying to do. They were apparently trying to make it, like, more of a comedy, but...
1: The Lego guys? Yeah.
0: And, you know, but getting fired up a Star Wars movie is not something you're ever going to live down.
1: It's strange. No, I know. That's, that's sort of heartbreaking. I feel bad for those guys, actually, but... Especially when Ron out.
0: Howard comes in and saves the day for you. You know, a big, prolific director. Yeah. They yeah. need someone like that to clean up your mess or whatever, but... It's strange. I wonder how messy it really was. I don't trust Kathleen Kennedy at all,
1: so... Well, you know what's interesting about Kathleen Kennedy? She comes from the Spielberg camp right? Yeah. Overall. And, you know, Lucas back then, that was always the opposing side to the Disney thing. You know, think about DreamWorks and everything Spielberg started up. I know, I know Spielberg is very respectful of Disney and admires Disney and stuff like that, but that was always, it was always DreamWorks and Disney. Kathleen Kennedy was on the opposing side. They were rivals, you know, for her to go and work be so, you know, I'm not saying it's some kind of behind the scenes, you know, she's a spy for the other side or anything like that, but it is odd how it kind of came about you know she became working for you know who was really in the past her one of her rivals so i don't know it's strange
0: we'll see we'll see how this all goes i think we're gonna i think star wars is maybe taking a turn for the worse
1: but or all... maybe it'll teach them to calm down and stop putting out so much shit it's almost like a flop sweat it's almost like fear of like if we don't get star wars out you know like and it, people are gonna forget about it are you kidding me we had no star wars from 1983 to 1999 You know what I mean? Like again,
0: from 2005 to 2015. People aren't going to forget about (laughs) it. It's going to be fine. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It does make me a little angry. It makes me, the thing is, is it makes me completely irrationally angry. (laughs) Nerd rage. People know me, have known me for years uh, as a podcaster and an entertainer or whatever, and kind of a nerd culture guy. And I don't get very passionate about very many things, like, to that extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you have, an ownership. you have a sense of ownership over Star Wars, and rightfully so. You've immersed yourself in it for years.
0: And then they ruined all that. You can go listen to our knockback about ex- the expanded universe for more information on that, <laughs> about all my wasted thousands of dollars and hours. <laughs> Dave, let's do it the lightning round before lightning we go.
1: Lightning round, here we go. Okay, Return of the Jedi. R-O-T-J lightning round. Okay, Han or Luke? Han. 3PO or R2? R2. Definitely. So we talked about this earlier. Slave Leia or Buns Leia? That's that's hair buns, <laughs> to be more specific. Because Slave Leia is Buns uh, Leia. <laughs> buns Leia, I agree. Ewoks or Jar Jar? I wonder how most people would feel about this. I know how we feel. I mean, about e- it. I mean, Ewoks. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I would take slow
0: death over Jar Jar Binks. Oh man!
1: So what well, happened with uh, the guy who played him? Ahmed
0: Best. I was about to just say that there was like some sad stuff about him recently. Where right? He, was, he did. I don't know if he's doing like a one man show or something like that. Where he talks about the experience about how, like how horrible it was that had
1: to be tough it's not his fault definitely they cast him completely wasn't his fault i mean he he was the least of their problems yeah because he was like suicidal and stuff yeah. apparently right well that's serious that's that gets into that gets into some heaviness and that's me.
0: why i'm saying like i don't want to be mean-spirited i guess i come off that way sometimes when i talk about this stuff i don't mean that you know I, you definitely don't want people to feel that way about themselves
1: no i, I really would like to see hayden Christian especially when they really case. didn't like kill a man <laughs> Right, exactly. Just my childhood. Just your, just this childhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Hoth or Endor? Ooh, that's a good one. I would go with Endor. Yeah, I like Endor too. That's a tough one. The Hoth battle is
0: great though. It's so ominous
1: with the at Good Lando or bad Lando? So you're talking about Solo Lando? No, talking about. Uh, I guess I'm really or talking you talking about, about like Lando early before, Empire Lando? Yeah, early Empire Lando. Say. Good Lando. I like when Lando's. Me good. too. Me too. Here's an interesting one ever thought about this one x-wing or tie fighter x-wing oh me too but tie fighters are cool too though
0: the tie fighters if you read about them i think if you read about them schematically i don't know if they blink this out of existence too like they don't they don't have nearly the the capability they don't have a, a light drive like a light speed drive or anything like right that. they can't even go to light speed yeah. right they're like little just, little, just cannon fodder yeah, basically. basically but they're fast if you get into the other ships like tie interceptor and stuff i like those ships a lot those are cool yeah.
1: the tie interceptor specifically is really cool the log booby trap or the rope booby trap the log
0: booby trap is very memorable i
1: love i love them atat or atst i would go with the ad ad i think yeah me too i love you or i know i know definitely force lightning or force choke force choke definitely we already talked about this one stormtrooper or biker scout oh
0: biker scout man i got to get a biker scout outfit I gotta do it. They're so
1: cool. There's something. Must be something about that design because everybody loves biker scouts. They just nailed something with that design. Isn't it interesting? It's this very cool. It's visual, yeah. ple- visually pleasing. For well,
0: somebody. it's not only visually pleasing. It's that it looks like that's what they do. Like they, they look like that's what exactly the vehicle. That's they ride. a good
1: point. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's very
0: similar to Tie Fighter pilots, where I'm like that. That's a perfect look for them with you know with the, the tubes coming off of them and going into their chests and stuff, and it just looks like they're pilots.
1: Yeah, so cool. and they all and all this, the outfits, all the Stormtrooper Tie Fighter pilots, AT-AT drivers. The Biker Scouts—they all seem like they're. It all seems the same. It's an extension of you know. They all seem like they're in the same family. You know, family. Yeah. yeah. The art direction is so cool. Dagobah or Ewok Village. Dagobah. Here's one we didn't get to talk about yet: A Wing or B Wing. Oh yeah,
0: I like the A Wing a lot more. Me too. The A Wing. I remember getting the A Wing toy and being like so smitten
1: with it. The A Wing toy was part of the Droids line. Not even part of the Star Wars line Interesting. Of toys. Isn't that weird? That is weird, yeah. They must have done it as an afterthought. I had the B-Wing, and it was a cool toy, and it was actually quite massive, but the B-Wing just wasn't as cool as the A-Wing.
0: The Y-Wing was always the one where I was like...
1: Yeah, Y-Wing is a real flop. You know? I gave that one to my son, actually. But I never... Yeah, it was always like, Y-Wing and X-Wing, is there even a... There's no competition. It's like... One seems like... It's like a Corvette versus like a like a horse and buggy. Yeah, the Y-Wing always you know?
0: seemed like it wasn't going to make it.
1: Yeah, it always see. Yeah, and it was a bomber, the Y wing too, right? Same as the B wing. B wing's a bomber, right? I don't, I don't
0: bomber? know. I don't know that. Yeah, B wing, I think is a bomber because they have that bay on them. They're like they're asymmetrical,
1: right? Just like the tie bomber. They're unexpected how they open up and fly, which kind of makes it cool. But okay, the Rancor Monster or David Cronenberg's Sarlacc Pit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Rancor Monster. I'm gonna go with the Rancor Keeper. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And that was a little bit weird when he's like actually it's kind of funny i guess when he's crying it's so. it just works yeah
1: there's so much there is a lot of weird stuff that like that that we didn't get into but for some reason and again i don't know is it because i was nine and i was just so excited about the movie but you know what i watch it as a 44 year old and i still love it so and okay last one jabba or tony soprano <laughs> i'll
0: go with tony soprano uh over jabba yeah Java's Certainly. not going
1: to be happy about that.
0: It would have been interesting if they, uh, <laughs> if it was Tony and his and his goons in Java's palace instead of Java. <laughs>
1: oh!
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> where's the oh! Where's the Gabba
1: Oh, where's <laughs> the Gabba Super sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, that is it for us for this lengthy episode of Knockback about Return of the Jedi. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can support the show on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/last stand if you want early access to every episode, the ability to vote on topics, vote on other's topics, and just support us generally. We also do exclusive episodes of Knockback on there for dollar and up a month patrons that will never be released to the public. There are three exclusive episodes of Knockback there so far for Say by the Bell, TGIF, and the Mighty Ducks trilogy. So go check those out. I do those with my best friend Ramon. There are more things that we grew up with. Dagan wouldn't really be able to speak to, so we try to we try to play around in that space with when Dagan is not around. Yep,
1: yep, 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 yep,
0: Dagan, thank you for your time. Oh, one other thing. If you're listening to this in the free feed, it would be great if you left us a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you are because uh, the scores, you know, nice scores and nice words help us algorithmically find a new audience. So please consider doing that as well. We'll see you next time for more Knockback. Till then. Goodbye. Care. Collins Last Stand knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alloways, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Bran, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhardt, Alex Cabrera, William Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, William O'Carroll, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Chris Cochran, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Del Nicos, Travis Depew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli. Eric Fickenbeiner Connor Gashian Alexander Gates Michael Gates Daniel Glassford Nick Gobler, Tyler Goodwin David S. Graham Josh Gravelick Ryan Greenwood Miranda Grubba Nick Gustafson Andres Guzman Tyler Harris Wyatt Henry Josh Yeager Clarence Johnson Paul Joyce Greg Julefs Jeremy Key Kevin Komaki Taylor C. Laudrin Jackson Lassuka, Donald Laws Joe Lawson Don Q. Lee Patrick Leslie Dustin Lewis Keith A. Lewis Chad Lewis Mark Liberto Lou and Ray Loper Josh M. Ryan T. Mandel John McManus Joe McPartlin, Albert Miranda Patrick Malloy Betty Ann Moriarty, A. Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Brandon Reed, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Toby Schutman, German Sadu, Riley Smith, Jared Stouave, Alexander Suarez, Stephen Summingit, Ahmad Tamar, Tam Tran, Esteban Valentin, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Mad Mach Media, Beric, Mubarak, Dav 9834, Chris, and Donk 2015.